Humanity begins in Africa. That's the first thing. And we should never take that for granted. Before there was a Zimbabwe or Ghana or Ethiopia, there was a continent that we now call Africa. We are not certain exactly <clears throat> where the term Africa comes from. It may be an indigenous word used by the people themselves. There's a belief that circulated on the Internet quite a bit that Africa is named after a Roman general. Well, that's foolish. Yeah, the Roman general actually takes his name from Africa. So humanity begins in Africa, um, our most ancient forms of humanity, and then modern humanity as well. That's what DNA tells us. That's what the fossil evidence tells us. And then hundreds of thousands, well, I wouldn't say hundreds of thousands of years ago, but maybe beginning about 100,000 years ago, African people, black people, begin to migrate to the far corners of the earth. Now, this doesn't mean that we are indigenous or aboriginal to any continent other than Africa. Everywhere else we got to, everywhere else we are, we started in Africa and ended up there. And I want to be very, very clear on that because there's a lot of foolishness, lunacy circulating on the Internet that we are not African, that we are aboriginal, we're born in parts of the world. We should just dispense with that. Yeah, I hear that. That's that's just ignorance. And it's fed by a lot of anti-African bias. We, in general, so many of us, are prejudiced against Africa so that anything that comes our way that allows us to embrace the idea that we are something other than what we are, many of us jump on. I think also it's an effort to disassociate ourselves from the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade. So many people would deny that it existed or that we were always here. This is simply not true. And it's an insult to the bones, to the memories of all of those African people, those captives who lie on, whose, whose bones lie on the body of the Atlantic Ocean and the, and the Indian Ocean as well. Because not only is there a transatlantic slave trade, there's an East African slave trade, and there's an Arab slave trade. But the migrations that I'm talking about now took place tens of thousands of years before slavery and before colonization. Also, since we're basically dealing with African history 101, African migrations 101, we should say that these movements of African people have nothing to do with what is called Pangea. Pangaea is a supercontinent that held the entire world's land masses together, and this is true. But this Pangaea broke apart 150 million years ago, so it has nothing to do with modern humanity. So African people, the children of Africa, migrated to all of these parts of the world through their own ingenuity and through their own resilience. We are the original people, and Africa is the original birthplace of humanity. And there is only one race, and that's the human race, which originated in Africa and spread to the far corners of the earth and were affected by climates different than the ones that they had experienced. And this accounts for the different ethnic groups. But I assure you that Africa is the mother continent, and black people 
are the parent people of humanity. So we should begin with that. And on those issues, there's no debate, there's no discussions. We can ask questions about it, but anything to the contrary should not even be entertained as a serious discussion. Yeah, because I hear um, even some Native Americans say that there were people on the planet during Pangea that they would just walk from Africa to North America or South America. But then I hear um, scholars like yourself and other ones that said there was really no humanoids on the planet during Pangea. Well, we're just talking about what the evidence tells us. Now, many people believe many things. There are those of us who believe the world is flat, that human evolution is not real, that Jesus right. is waiting in heaven for all of us. So you can believe whatever you want. And I don't argue with people, not at my age. As long as I've been doing this, I don't argue with people. I'm telling you what the evidence tells us. And the evidence is overwhelming. And when I say evidence or science, I'm not talking about a European thing. African people were the first scientists. So we should not run from science. We should run to it. And I think that we owe our people the honest truth, even if it's not what people prefer to believe. Yesterday was the birthday of one of our greatest historians. His name is Chancellor James Williams. He wrote a book that profoundly influenced me called The Destruction of Black Civilization. And in that book, he said many things. But one of the things he said that really resonated, and that is the African historian, which I think I am, must be on a relentless search for truth and must not tremble with fear when that truth is contrary to what one would prefer to believe. So we're not going to talk about fantasy, at least I'm not. We're going to talk about what the evidence tells us. And this line of of the background, the foundation that I gave you, is pretty much what scientists agree on, African scholars, and, and those are the, that's the platform. I think we need to have a strong foundation. I believe there's an African proverb that goes, if you know the beginning well, the ending will not trouble you. So we should start at the beginning. Right. So if we deal with that, we got that out of the way, I hope. And then if we want to continue yeah. to look at Africa, we can look at the role that African people have have played in the development of classical civilization. It's one thing to say that you were first. It's another, as I was taught by my teachers, including people like Ivan Van Sertima, the great scholar who dealt more than anybody else with the African presence in America before Columbus, it's one thing to say that you were first. It's another thing to say what you did. And so African people are not only the first people on the planet, we did great things. And among the greatest thing that we did was develop the civilization along the banks of the River Nile. And this is what we call Kemet or ancient Egypt, Kush, Nubia, Ethiopia, etc. By the way, the word Ethiopia is a Greek name. It's not an African name. It's a Greek name that means the land of the burnt-faced people. And this is a term that is now applied to the modern country of Ethiopia. The country of Ethiopia today, the country of Haile Selassie I, has also been called Abyssinia. 
But when a lot of these countries in Africa, became, at least some of them, became independent, they chose to take on they chose to take on traditional African names, and in many cases, the names of ancient African kingdoms and empires. And so, the country that used to be called under the British the Gold Coast took the name of Ghana. The country that was a part of the French West Sudan took the name Mali. And we could say something similar about Zimbabwe. When Zimbabwe became independent, it changed the name from Northern Rhodesia or Rhodesia, named after the arch imperialist Cecil Rhodes to Zimbabwe. And even the country of Benin in West Africa is similar to that. Benin, well, even then had an an African name, Dahomey. But the name Benin comes from an African kingdom really associated with modern Nigeria. So those are a few more pieces of history that I think people should understand. Right, right. Well, then when so, we're talking about, oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, my, no, my sister, we're just getting used to each other, getting used to each other's style. I didn't know if you were going to ask me questions. Are you expecting me to lecture for a little while or, or what you want me to do and how we could well, be most effective? All right, we can do a little both. I will definitely ask questions. And, oh, yes. Um, whatever you feel like is important to make known, you can always feel free to say it. And then, you know, if oh, believe me, brother, like believe me, believe me, I'll definitely step in and let you know where I think we should be going, but I think it would be better if you and the other co-hosts ask specific questions that I might try to answer and be most effective. Most definitely. What do you want to know? Okay, let me, let me, I feel like a, I feel like a hungry man who arrived to the all-you-can-eat buffet, but I'm so hungry, I can't even decide what plate I want yet. So if you could just speak on a few, <laughs> if you could just speak on, my dear brother, um, some of the common fallacies and common uh, misunderstandings about the continent of Africa and the various countries and cultures within, just for a few minutes that would jumpstart me okay. into some very specific uh, questions. Because already I have to tell you, I love your energy. I love the methodical way you're going down the list and, and just stating what you're about. And we're gonna rock and roll good tonight. But if you can, some of the things that irk you personally, like to say, my God, how could you be so ignorant to this? And some of the things that you hear about Africa. Give us a few and we'll jump on it with our specific questions. Thank you. Um, brother, you know, we have so much because we are taught basically, I think, to be anti-African, to instinctively reject Africa because African unity, black unity around the world would be the end of the um, system that we call white supremacy. I mean, black people will come to power again. I think if there's nothing else that we agree on, I think almost every black person would say, or at least the vast majority, that we need to unite, that black people have to unite. And so what 
can be the basis of that unity, a deep sense of pride in who we are. I think that no matter your gender, no matter your age, no matter your class, all of our people want to feel proud of themselves. I think that all of us, deep down inside, want to feel like we come from something bigger than ourselves, something that will allow us to hold our heads up high and be proud of who and what we are. This is the key. If we are able to develop a deep-rooted knowledge of self, it will transform everything. And this is a very important point to make because a lot of times people will ask, well, why is history important? We have so many problems, so many issues that we're trying to contend with right now, we really don't have time to talk about what happened 10,000 years ago or a million years ago or even yesterday. So it's very important to make it clear why knowledge of self is important, why this exercise is significant. So what I say all the time is what you do for yourself depends on what you think of yourself. And what you think of yourself depends on what you know of yourself. And what you know of yourself depends on what you have been told. So if you are programmed, if you have been told all your life, 24-7, cradle to grave, womb to tomb, that you ain't nothing, that you come from nothing, that your people never did anything, you will act that out. And you will be prepared to embrace the worst ideas about yourself. You will embrace the inward. You will use the B word. It will roll easily off your tongue because you don't know any better. But if you are taught to believe that you come from royalty, kings and queens, that you are the first people to give humanity to the world, civilization to the world, it changes everything. You begin to look at yourself in a different light, and you begin to look at people in your community in a different light. And that is why... What, what we're doing is so important. Now, the key is not just the fact that it's important, but how do we instill that desire to want to know into the masses of our people? That's the difficult part. How do you inject a desire to want to know that we've done things in our community? And these things are really, 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 really basic. Now, in terms of Africa itself today, there are 54 sovereign so-called sovereign countries in Africa. Notice I said so-called because they are European creations. Europe invaded and colonized Africa, and now those countries have some level of political independence, but economically they're still enslaved, and culturally they're still enslaved. In many ways, Africans in America, at least conscious African Americans, that's us, are more advanced in terms of African identity than most sisters and brothers on the continent themselves because they have the same colonizer that we have, and we are all trying to throw off the shackles of mental slavery. So one of the things we must do is give our people a sense of pride in Africa. Then you wouldn't have folks talking about, I ain't, I ain't no African, I'm an Aboriginal. And we must explore that fully. Now, the thing, I guess two or three things, and I'll shut up for a moment. Two or three things that really you ask me that irk me more than anything else. One, when I hear black people in the United States say, I'm not an African. I ain't got nothing to do with Africa. 
I didn't leave nothing in Africa. Now that really is like somebody talking about your mother. Yeah, and then really number two, <laughs> well, we can start with that. That's the key. We have to develop a deep love for Africa because in loving Africa, we love ourselves. You can't hate the roots of the tree without hating the fruits of the tree. Mm-hmm. Your turn. Oh, okay. I'll jump in. You're right. I was very surprised. I was born in New York City. I reside in Orlando, Florida. Born in 63, 55 years old. Um, Never been to the continent of Africa or any country therein. But I always assumed as a person growing up here in my journey that those from the many countries in Africa were more enlightened than me to what Africa was all about. I was, it, it, it was a shock within the last, I'd say 10 years, because I've been online a lot and I read a lot, but the online experience has affected me greatly because now we have the ability, ability to connect to people in lifetime all over the world without even as much as licking a stamp. So when I began to talk to people from the continent of Africa, born and raised, and look at the various websites that many of them had, and the buffoonery on a lot of the websites that they had that mirrored what we have here, um, comparable to reality TV shows, celebrity worship, the decadence of the colonizer. It was disappointing to me. And in my dealings with many from, and I know many from Nigeria and Ghana, especially when I was in New York City and hustling after work, driving a, a taxi cab and dollar van, I got a chance to really hang out with many of them, and what happened in those personal dealings, they prostituted the fact that I thought that they were righteous black brothers from the motherland and ripped me off faster than somebody would over here. I'm saying, wait a second. These are the guys from Utopia from the motherland? And they played that on me. I'm not saying all because I met some very wonderful brothers who are conscious from over there in the various countries but that was a rude awakening for me. And it let me know how far and wide the tentacles of white supremacy and the colonization, not just of a physical country, but of our black minds across the globe and diaspora. So now I have to weigh you out as an individual. So when many of my black brothers from Africa would say, hello, my brother, how are you doing? Oh, my black brother, I am so proud. We must unify. Okay, yeah, all right. Now you need $50 from me. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, nobody's perfect, but I thought that coming from a place that was more original, you know, the source, more so than me growing up in Southside, Queens, New York City, I said, man, these guys got to really be enlightened. But that wasn't the case, I hate to say, nine times out of 10. And that's how... I've come to know how powerful white supremacy has been in the, in the tricks and, 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 and the, in the, the, the minefields they put out there, even controlling our schools and how we think and getting to our children and now more so with this LGBT thing. All of this stuff thrown at us and we're gobbling it up like pigs. Who's left, my brother? What, what must we do? Please tell me what must we do when we have this type of mindset where we, we have the Stockholm syndrome going on, where we can't let go 
of the oppressor and will defend the oppressor to the detriment of our own existence. Please tell me. Well, I think knowledge itself, as I pointed out, it has a lot to do with it. But I think you also have to want change. You see, it's one. I think that maybe what we do best and what we do most is become indignant and we express outrage when one of our youth doesn't even have to be a youth. is shot in the streets with both hands raised up in broad daylight begging, don't shoot. We become very angry, and we should. Our condition is messed up in general compared to the other larger population. But does that translate into wanting to make changes enough to destroy white supremacy? And I don't think that it does. I think that in many ways we have become comfortable or we have acclimated ourselves to white supremacy. For example, you ask what should we do? I think that we have to do all of the really, really basic things. But that means if you're going to do those things, you have to change a lot of the things that you are doing right now. For example, I believe that it's very important that black men be with black women. To me, that's very deep. And that is the greatest statement you can make by the person you choose to walk by your side. Yes, indeed. And yet, a brother, a lot of brothers, who are racially profiled from cradle to grave, I mean, from the beginning to the end, the last one to get the job, first one to get fired, you know the things that we go through. Typically, even the first one to get killed in the movie. When I say something like that, they are likely to say, I couldn't help who I fell in love with. And I don't see color, that I don't see race. You understand? If I say we need to spend more money with other black people, this is very big, even if you're going to get into the quote-unquote Christmas spirit, which if that's what you want to do, I'm not going to fight you, at least spend some money with black folk to be willing to join an organization with like-minded people. We say we are at war, but we don't seem to be very effective warriors if it's too cold or if it's too late or if it's too far or if I have to spend some money or if I have to work with people in my community that I don't like. Now, you say you're at war, but you won't get involved in a particular program or organization because you don't like somebody for what they did to you 10 years ago. You see, so my attitude is we're not very serious about empowerment. We're serious about talking about it, but in terms of changing our behavior on an individual level, uh, we are sorely lacking in that in general. So in essence, the change must come within, from within. Go ahead, sister. Go ahead, sister. No, finish what you were saying. No, I was just basically saying. Let me me summarize. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Let Let me just say this. It's not that we need a plan. I think that we need a philosophy, a kind of a race first philosophy that I'm going to start with myself and my community. That doesn't mean I have to hate anybody. Hate is a burden that I wouldn't wish on anybody. But it means we have to love ourselves enough to be selfish sometimes. 
and to look within and ask ourselves, what are the things that we do that enable white supremacy? Stop giving white people all of your money and marry somebody who looks like you and spend money with people who look like you and who live in your community and join an organization of like-minded people because you can't conquer white supremacy by yourself. And even if you make a mistake, get up and start all over again. Don't tell me that you won't do business with a black person because you had a negative experience, and then go spend your money with the descendants of the people who enslaved your ancestors. So until we are prepared to get serious about basic things like that, maybe stop being so judgmental of other people and try to be a better example or an ambassador for the things that we say we believe in. These are the basic things that ultimately will, ultimately will liberate us, but we have to purge ourselves of so many negative attitudes and values that have been instilled in us for generations on both sides of the Atlantic. Now, you talked about some of the shortcomings of sisters and brothers on the continent, but you could go to Brazil and see something similar to that. You could go to Jamaica and see something similar to that. You could go to Haiti or Mexico and see the same kinds of things. And these things also make you realize that we are all in this together and that we have to spend more time talking about where white folks picked us up from instead of where we, dropped, where we got dropped off. And we have to be able to see the big picture, put aside our pettiness, our egos, our jealousies, and learn to look at the big picture. I know those things are easier said than done, but that's in essence, those are the things that we are grappling with. Now, what I try to do is use history to motivate our people, to give them a guideline, a sense of direction, a sense of the possibilities of what we can do. And it's having an impact. I'll give you an example, and I'll leave it, I'll, I'll rest for a moment. One of the most interesting things that's happened to us in the last couple of years or so is this movie Black Panther. It is not a perfect film, but it's a very, very pow powerful film. And it showed one thing and illustrates my point, the sense of a desire to be proud, a willingness to embrace Africa even by people who are not in the so-called African conscious community. I saw sisters and brothers that I would never see in one of my lectures, never see in a program, put on their African dashiki, may have been made in China, and wear it to the premiere of the movie and be proud of it, and doing the Wakanda salute. These things are very, very powerful, and I think we can learn from that. All right. Yes, Amazing. I know a friend from New York was telling me that when he went to see the Black Panther movie, that the movie theater was full. Not only was it full, but everybody had on an African garment. So it, it kind of like woke up some DNA cells that was dormant and made people start feeling like they belong somewhere. You know, like I am somebody. I am more than just going to jail on drugs, you know or selling drugs. I could be in a superhero movie and, and show the greatness of Africa because they're always showing us the downside of Africa to make you not want to visit. But they don't want to show you the uplifting side of Africa. So you're right about that. Black cancer really, you know, it, it woke up a lot of people that you wouldn't even expect to go out and buy an African garment to go see the movie. Like nobody goes to the movies with an African garment on. But when Black Panther movie came out, people felt the need 
to do that. So that mm. does says a lot, you know. It does. It it. Let, but let I was well, I think that. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I just want to interject on that. I'm always looking to connect dots that sometimes don't always exist. And my my and I believe I, I agree with everything that you both say because it's a start. But I'm saying to myself, what if a what if Disney was the one to facilitate this movie at the core? And my thing is, would black people have accepted it if it was a totally, totally black production. Second of all, it's wonderful to see our black brothers and sisters proud of their culture and to make that initial connection. But who profited off of this? The garments they had on, was it from the Philippines or China? Were they made? Um, not to be negative, but all I'm saying is that that is a start but why couldn't have Disney, since Disney was the one to back this up, or maybe next time, bring us out of the comic book rendition and bring us into the true history so that we can connect with something that is real? You see, at the end of the day, you know, to me, this was an imitation African black thing to grab our, our subconscious minds to eventually steer us away from the path of the reality. Now, that being said, the wonderful doctor on the line right now, why isn't he more in demand to speak? Why isn't he taken care of for all of his work? And I know it's a passion for you, brother. It's not a money grab. But why aren't you called in? for interviews on all of these Disney-connected uh, mainstream media platforms from what you know, because I know there's nobody connected with that production that knows more than you. And this is not an ego thing or, or an ego-stroking thing, but let's get to the real. That was cool, but there's much more out there beyond what Stan Lee the one who just passed away from Marvel Comics created. Why don't we get to the core and how do we get people to see that at this point? Well, what we might say is, and you've already said it basically, but I'll put it in another way, that empowerment is a process. It's not an event. And it's not just one thing. It's many things. And it takes a long time. And it takes a sustained effort. I said at the beginning that Black Panther was not a perfect film, but it contributed a lot of positive things. For example, all the women in the film had natural hair. And that was even a part of the movie that they made a big deal out of, of that. They never used the N-word in the film. They never used the B-word in the film. People had respectful relationships in terms of the male-female thing. Now, certainly it's not the end of the line, but I think that we must also celebrate our victories, even though they may not be as monumental as we would like, as we work towards the end goal. Now, there's another issue, and I'm sure that we agree with this, 
that the struggle that we are in today didn't start yesterday, and it's not going to end tomorrow. No matter how hard we work, it's going to take time. It's going to take generations. But each generation must contribute to that. And each individual, or at least as many individuals as possible, must contribute to that. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. So I think that all of us who are really sincere, and I think I'm preaching to the choir here, or we wouldn't be having this conversation, must look within and ask ourselves, what can I do to contribute to the struggle? What is it that I'm going to do today? How is it going to advance my people, my community? And ultimately, that's what it will take to bring about real change. And I don't see us as being at that point, but we can't give up the fight. We can't slip back any further than we already have. So we have to do it. Now, most of the time, I'm positive and optimistic about our future as a people, most of the time. But there are times, I confess, I get depressed like a lot of other people, that it's discouraging. And I even wonder sometimes that we are already defeated, but just haven't acknowledged that. But even during those moments of despair, when I am suffering that level of depression, I continue to fight anyway, because I believe that my ancestors who paid such a price for us to be here and future generations deserve a fight. And if I'm going to lose, I'm going to go down swinging. So, yeah, we have to be critical. We have to look at the big picture. We have to be willing to analyze. But we also have to push the positive and celebrate our victories whenever we find those. Excellent. Excellent. Yesterday I was at this, um, um, like a book meeting, and reading The Destruction of Black Civilization, and we're like down to the last chapter of the book. And um, someone had asked, are we separatists? Like, you know, who's, who's the real separatist, the white man or black people? That was one of the questions Chancellor Williams asked, but then the moderator was just repeating it. And, you know, people had their different views and opinions on what it is, but a few of us, including myself, agree that Black Wall Street is a good example of being a separative because they managed to come together, put their money together, and build something for themselves. And it took unity and trust to do that. And although we have these book meetings every other Saturday, we still haven't came to that conclusion to say, let's do what Black Wall Street is. We do a lot of talking, but the action is missing. We do a lot of dialoguing. We do a lot of agreeing. We all come up with the same answers, basically, maybe just wording it differently. But at the end of the day, when we get up from that table, Dr. Renoko, there's no Black Wall Street plan. Although we know what we need to do. The book tells us, and we know it too. But when we get up from that table, it's the same talking and no action. <laughs> Well, what do, you, what do you want me to tell you, my sister? You know, people ask me all the time about plans. I say it's not the plan. It's easy to come up with a plan. That ain't no big deal. It's the implementation that's hard. Because, again, that means changing the things that we've been doing. For example, you know, I'll put the spotlight on me right now. 
we need to be much I'm saying we and speaking generally, but I'm using myself as an example. I need to be much more health conscious. I'm 64 years old now. I have a lot of work to do, but I don't take very good care of myself. And I can use excuses that I travel all the time. Yes, I just got back from Europe yesterday. Okay, I flew like 15 hours, you know, to get here. So when you reminded me about this interview today, it wasn't exactly, you know, what I wanted to hear, but it, at least I'm able to sit back and relax <laughs> and do it over the telephone, and I think it's a, a conversation that's important to have. But I don't eat like I should. If I'm in a healthy environment, I'll be healthy. But most of the time, I'm eating, quite often at least, I'm eating junk food. I'm not exercising like I should. Now, you know, I can blame white supremacy till the cows come home. I can call white people all kind of devils. But at the end of the day, it's kind of my responsibility, too, to act on that and to, and to do better. So, you know, revolution comes from within. I, I, I've been saying empowerment, but we're really talking about revolution here. We're talking about a fundamental change, and that's not an easy thing to do. So. I'm, I'm working well, on it. Since you mentioned your health and things like that, and I understand how it is when you're traveling, you can't really get that decent, healthy meal that you would like to get. I mean, I could send you some salvasap leaves every month, and while you're traveling, you can you can make a gallon of that and have it in your in your um your traveling bag, and you can be drinking that while you're traveling because it also keeps the pressure down and the cholesterol down and it's good for the, if you're suffering with any kind of diabetes, it'll get rid of that and detox the body, give you regular bowel movements and just give you energy to where you probably won't even have an appetite most of the time. Because you're on well, the go anyway. Send me some. Let me know. We can do that offline. Right. No, we can, we can do it offline. Send me a message. Or whatever. Okay. No, after the after the interview, we can we can talk. Let me know what the costs are and all of those things, because I need help. I'm willing to admit that, but I'm also using that as an example about how I think in all of our lives there are changes that we can make, or we could ask ourselves: Am I doing the best? Am I operating at optimum level? You know, because it's not just about me; it's about we; it's about collectivity. So you know. I love black people, and I expect a lot of us from us. But also, I think a lot of times I'm brought down by the realities um, in, that we are confronted with, and I'm just determined to go on and do the best I can. Now, let me say two or three other things real quick, since we're just having a general discussion, and we're, I'm maybe trying to offer some advice based on my experience. As I pointed out, we must be prepared for generations of struggle, generations of struggle. That what what we're going through didn't just happen yesterday. It ain't gonna start. It ain't gonna end tomorrow. We can't do it by ourselves. No matter how strong we are, we need organization. We need a collective effort. Maybe you are an example of that by pulling the various people together to be a part of this program. I think too that you cannot allow yourself to get frustrated. I'll put it this way. You can get tired, but you can't quit. 
You can take a break. You can sit back. You can regroup. You can rest yourself. You can rejuvenate yourself, but you can't give up. And so, I mean, these are basic kinds of things, and uh, we have to keep 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 a lot of that in mind. I got I got one question for you, my brother. Um, I know in the start that you said that you know where all of us come from, but my question yeah. is, my question to you is this: uh, where this mindset that white supremacy has and continues to use against us as people, where did that mindset come from? Well. We are the parents of white people. They, in essence, are our children, and they've gotten out of line, and they need to be disciplined. In order to do that, we must have the power to do it. African people walked out of Africa and went into Europe and got caught up in that ice, and they were transformed physically and psychologically. There's only one race, and that's the human race. But those Africans that got caught up in the, the ice, the ones we today call white people, have developed a cold, hard personality, a desire to want to be in charge, aggressive, speaking generally greedy, a determination to dominate, what we might call a God complex. The African, on the other hand, the original people, developed a very different mentality. We have a strong live and let live personality in general. We're prepared to embrace almost anything and and everybody. You know, we almost have to be, we shouldn't have to have a conversation or we almost have to argue and beg and plead for black people to want to marry other black people, to want to spend money with other black people. It's almost like we have to have a fight in our community to do that. If I say we need to spend more money with other black folks, I have this black person say, why? Why, should, why do I need to marry another black person? I think more than any other group of people on the planet, it's almost like we have to be beat over the head to want to do for self. And so... I think that it's basically an incompatibility of culture and cultural personalities. And the only way to change that is to have power. That's really what it's about. You know, I wish white people liked me. <laughs> but the most important thing is, yeah, I wish they did. I wish everybody loved Renoko Rashidi. But the most important thing is that I have enough power so that whether they like me or not, they can't mess with me. They can't do anything to me. Now, if they don't want to like me, that's their problem. But if they have the power to take that dislike and do something bad to me, that's my problem. So the essence of it is to gain power. That's really what it's about. That's what black power is all about, to have the power not to bother other people, but to have the power so nobody can mess with you and you can achieve your full potential in life. That's really what it's about. That's the essence of it. That's what we're striving for. And we just have to figure out what forms that is going to take and then be prepared to implement it. And we're a long way from that. But I'll say this. I'll say this too now. 
what keeps me from completely losing hope, completely losing all my optimism about the future, is that, again, I realize what we have gone through as a people. Look at all the brutalities that we have suffered for hundreds of years. Every kind of disrespect and humiliation and degradation, all of those things have been done to us. And yet we are still here tonight to have this conversation about how we're going to regain our rightful place in the world. That's a miracle. We are a miracle as a people. It's miraculous being taken out of the door of no return and being taken across the Atlantic Ocean on ships like the good ship Jesus and serve Jesus daily and John the Baptist and fraternity, liberty, and equality. These were the names of some of the ships. And to survive breeding farms, the separation of families, babies being torn apart, all of the things that we went through, Jim Crow, all kinds of incarceration, all that stuff, and we're still here tonight. No, that, that's, that's really amazing when you think about it. So that gives us hope, tells us that we are survivors, that we are mighty strong folk, and that we are capable of doing anything and everything if we set our mind to it and we learn to work together. Wow. I do, I do definitely agree with you with that, um, you know, that we are a resilient people. Um, basically, it's like it's, it's almost to say that it's impossible to exter- exterminate black people from off this planet. Um, you know, we have to give thanks for that. And yes, you know, for me, I don't, I never lose hope. You know, that's one thing I can say personally that I don't lose hope because I know that we're going to win, but it's not going to be easy. Um, and I think a lot of us are, what, what I think a lot of us is afraid of is actually doing the work to get our, set ourselves free from this, this thing called white supremacy. We have to be willing to do the work. And yeah, bro, but we all agree with that. But work is no joke. It would be nice to be able to sit and smoke a joint and watch the game and just have a good life and do nothing. You know what I'm saying? I'm being real here. But you got to work. You talking about being in an organ? You talking about being in an organization, dealing with other people that you don't like? You know, changing your lifestyle? That's serious stuff. And, you know, and we're just not there at this point. And you know, i tell you what else, too. It's very easy to be judgmental of other people that don't have the consciousness that we think we have, okay? It's very, very easy to look down on people who don't have the level of consciousness that we think we, we have. So I tell you, you know, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And you need to try to surround yourself with like-minded, like-minded people, people who can reinforce you. Now, my brother, you say you never get discouraged. You always have hope. We need to clone you, brother, see what you're doing over there, man, because I tell you, sometimes I really make black people make me scratch my head, man, and say, what the heck is going on here with our people? Because we do some crazy stuff. That, that is that is, that is true, my brother. Um, I, I do agree with you that, that the things that we do – Ever that we do with that, but what I look at from you know, for me, especially in these days, when I, I I find I'm I'm coming more across people who are coming to this awareness of who they are, and um, I Good. find it in the younger people right now 
you know, um, that they are coming to an awareness of self. The older generation, uh, I think, sometimes is very difficult to deal with as regards to this because of... Uh, well, watch out, man, because... Watch out, because I'm in the older generation, you know, well, so you have to watch when you're talking to to old people. No, no. But, but that, I hear you, and that's very positive. Let me ask you something, brother. Let me ask you. I'm listening to your accent. Where are you from? I'm from Jamaica, my brother. Okay, very good. Well, you know, we're talking about Pan-Africanism. Yes, you know, yes. that's positive. Yeah. No. You know, the greatest man in the history of Jamaica, in my opinion, at least in modern times, is Marcus Garvey. Jamaica is a small island, relatively speaking, that's produced so much. Peter Tosh and Bob Marley and Marcus Garvey, this whole thing about African consciousness. And so now we have Africans from the Caribbean and Africans born in America. I assume the rest of y'all are born in Babylon at least having this conversation, maybe the most important thing we can do is just talk to each other with love and tolerance and appreciation and not feeling like I have to be right all the time and have the last word. That's not easy either. So, you know, I think that we just have to continue to do the most basic things. Now, as you say, there's a new generation. I accept that. And each generation has their turn to do well, to make triumphs, to have defeats and setbacks. So, you know, I say go for it. You know, I don't think that my generation has to stand in the way. You know, if I can advise, if I can assist in any way that I can, I'm for it. But I think it requires all generations. I think it requires a collective effort on the part of our community, all young, male, female, to really do what what must be done. I I absolutely agree with you, my brother, with that. Um, you know, when I, what I was going to say is that basically, you know, yes, you know, brothers like yourself, I do have great respect and admiration for the for the work that your brother your brothers are spearheading. Brothers and sisters alike really are spearheading because we don't want to forget about the sisters because there's a lot of sisters out there that are doing great work. So for me, it's appreciated. But what I'm saying is when I'm telling the brothers, when you see young people coming into this into this conscious thought about self and about Africa and about awareness, we have to encourage them because we have to we are running a relay race, so we have to pass the baton on to them. You know, but we have to give them because our ancestors, as you said, never stopped fighting for us. No matter how tired they got, no matter what they went through, they was fighting for us to set us free from this, this oppression of white supremacy. Well, I agree with you for the most part. But I think, too, that we have a tendency to, I don't know, maybe I'll see if I can put it this way. I'm confident that in spite of everything, that Marcus Garvey must have got tired and frustrated sometimes. I would imagine, I could be wrong, that Harriet Tubman must have been, I would think, she must have been afraid from time to time. I would imagine, I'm pretty confident that Malcolm X had doubts sometimes. But to me, what made them even greater, or what really is the essence of their greatness, is that in spite of their doubts and fears and frustrations, which I'm sure 
they had, like any human being has, they didn't stop. They kept on going. And that, to me, is something I think that we have to allow people to be human. I don't even try to hide my humanness. I have strengths, great strengths, but also I have weaknesses. I'm a person. And I think that we have to, you know, recognize the totality of ourselves and at the same time challenge ourselves to be better and do better and to reinforce, you know, the struggle. Because it's, you can't defeat white supremacy by yourself. We need a collective effort. I think there's an African proverb that goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And we need each other. Whether we like each other, I may not even like you. And that's not so important. But am I able and willing to work with you for the common good? And that's what I mean by seeing the big picture. There's, I love these African proverbs. They teach us so much. There's another one that goes, I pointed to you the stars in the heavens, but all you saw was the tips of my fingers. One of the great things, one last one, Marcus Garvey. Garvey, his motto was, up you mighty race, you can accomplish what you will. Africa for the Africans, those at home and those abroad. Garvey was born in St. Anne's Bay, Jamaica. He wasn't born in Africa. And someone asked him once, Mr. Garvey, are you an African or are you a Jamaican? And Garvey said, I will not give up a continent for an island. In other words, Garvey could see the big picture. And we want all of us as individuals and collective to be able to see the big picture. Thanks for sharing that bit of information. I just wanted to check. My father's from St. Anne's, and that made me feel good to hear that Marcus Garvey's from there. Go ahead, Brother Keston. Yeah, really? Your father was from St. Anne's Bay? Oh. St. Anne's Bay, but St. Anne's, Jamaica, actually Brownstown, but, you know, close enough to know. He was born in 1916. He passed in 1990, and he taught me a whole lot about wow. Jamaica and history and everything. Wow. So, And I also have to say that Brother Keston is my brother-in-law, and I, yes, I married a black woman, and that's his sister. And um, don't let my accent fool you. I might be from New York, but I'm more of a worldwide person, <laughs> conscious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I, like, I like all of that stuff. I like all of that, you know? I, yes, tell yes. You, I told you I traveled all this distance yesterday, and the reason I did that is because my daughter – lives in southern France. Her mother has Senegalese roots. Okay. She's 13 years old. I have one child. I became a father at the tender age of 51. Wow. And I'm a very devoted father. Wonderful. So I traveled all the way to France to get her and bring her back here so she could spend time with the sisters and brothers and her family here. And wow. then I take her back. So wow. I'm, 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 you know, I think that that's what I mean when all of us have a contribution to make. So, yes. brother, what you're talking about, I'm proud of you. And yes. I, I think that's wonderful. And I think that you all sound like very good role models. Okay. Well, I'll let yes, the, you know, Brother Keston is a, is a role model to me. And um, like I said, um, I've had many role models, but he inspires me. And um, I'm just blessed to have him in my life. And I also have to say from this point on, when I hear the Diana Ross song, Ain't no mountain high enough. I'm going to think about you, doctor, because for you to go all the way to France, come back and bring her back, you you embody the spirit of that song. 
But go ahead. I know Brother Keston had something that he had to say. No, no, I, I really, I, I really agree with, with, with the brother. Um, and basically, that it's going to take. Um, uh, I know that you know to build a nation. It's going to take all of us coming together. It's not about me. It's not about you. We have to put self aside in the sense where, you know, we come together. We help each other. We, you know, just like I often say, the Chinese people, when it comes to them and the way they deal with business and spend their money, they might not like this person, this Chinese person, but they are going to spend their money with them rather than go spend it somewhere else because they realize it's about their nation. It's not about any one individual. So I do uh, wholeheartedly agree with you that all of us, whether we are in Jamaica, whether we are in Haiti, whether we are wherever we are in America, wherever, we all must come together as one people because that is the solution. We we have to stop running away from ourselves because what what we are running from is what we need to run to, and that is what is going to solve the problem. That is, in my estimation. Right. Let me ask you all. Let me ask you all something. All of you all are in Florida. Yes, yes. my brother. Yes. And you're in our. I'm in Miami. Yes. Oh, you're in Miami. And the and other Keston, folks? Orlando. Both Orlando. Me, Orlando. Yeah. Keston and I are both in Orlando. Okay. I'm a New York uh, transplant. See, I, didn't re- I didn't realize that there was a connection between South Florida and what Orlando is, is considered North Florida. Well, Central Florida, actually. And it's Florida like is, is, is a strange place because when you, no, ma- no matter where you slice it, you'll always come out with a slice of something that looks different or tastes different than the rest of the state. The Panhandle is a different country. South Florida basically is a different country to generalize in Central Florida. And you have pockets of consciousness here and there. But Florida is not just one place as far as uh, a mindset or mentality. Um, To me, Northern Florida, the Panhandle is really Southern Georgia, you know, um, Miami is closer to New York City in its spirit than Central Florida. Uh, Central Florida is like the young kid who wants to be the grown man, so he wears clothes a size too large or, you know, stuffs clothes, uh, socks in his biceps to make his arms look bigger. So they're trying to grow and be a big city, but there's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of transition going on here. Not to change the subject, I just want to say, since maybe you might not have known, but Orlando is the fastest-growing metropolitan area in all of the country. I'm not saying the whole country's moving down here. Wow. But statistically, it is number one, the number one destination. So most have a, 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 a misguided perception of Orlando because they see the travel brochures and they see Disney and the tourist attractions and they think that is it. And yes, there are a lot of wonderful looking places here, but it is a very racist place nonetheless, especially with white supremacy in the system here. Don't get locked up here. You know, you don't want that. But if you know how to live, you can live anywhere. Like I tell my wife and I tell Brother Keston, you can take me anywhere. You can drop me anywhere in the world because I know at this point in my life what I like, what I don't like, and what it takes me to live. That being said, there's a lot of um, indecisive people who are transitioning, coming through this place. And it's a lot of turnover. It's a lot of it's a lot of activity here on all levels. It's not settled yet. There's a lot of it's a lot of things going on. And um I'm not a doomsayer, but yeah, 
I don't think, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be here when I transition, put it that way. Yeah, but you have a lot of history in Florida too. Oh, most definitely. Um, most definitely. But what I'm saying is that the present climate, and I, I just I, I want to focus to stay on you and what you have to, it's not about, I just want to say that okay. any metropolitan right. area, any big city, I wouldn't want to be around. I, I don't like depending on uh, things okay. or even depending on things other than nature. Um, if those things are removed, it's going to be mayhem. And there's a lot of people who are very unstable here. Uh, these people most here are depending on the dream and illusion of this great new place called Orlando. Um, but it's everywhere. And I just, I don't like it here. And I'm a city person. You know, I, it's not a problem dealing with the usual things, but what I see it going into. Yes, the history is great, but the present doesn't look like it has much promise for me. Too many superficial people, too many people who are blinded, too many people who are caught up in the matrix, and I, I don't like that. And that's not just Orlando, but it's many places, you see. I want to go back to nature. I want to be free out of this on so many levels. And when I do deal with somebody, I want to be able to deal with them on, on, a, on, a, on an equal level where we have a certain mindset because I can quickly see energies that are not good for me to be around. But that being said, that's a whole other right, show. Right. And um, I just want to pick your brain, brother, because all these years of research that you did is a lot more important than my little journey in Florida. So let's go on back to that. And, no, and it's all important. It's all important. I yes. was the one who asked the I question. Mean, you had my no I was listening. <laughs> no, you look here. I'm, I'm, I'm a student, and I'm trying to learn. I know I'm a teacher, but I'm well, also a student of a student of life and for life. So yeah, I was the one who asked the question. I find true, it all true. fascinating. Let me make one comment about a chapter true. among many in the history of Florida that's very, very interesting. Now we talked about, we began um, talking about ancient Africa, the primordial migrations out of Africa before enslavement. And I try to focus most of my energy when I'm doing presentations on the period before slavery, because a lot of us don't even know if we have a history before slavery. I would challenge each of you, each of anybody who's listening, you can try this if you like. Ask anybody on the street, if you dare, any black person, to name a single black person in the world who lived before slavery. A lot of us would be hard-pressed. If you really thought, thought about it, you might say um, King Tut or Cleopatra or something like that. But generally, we start our history after enslavement. As a matter of fact, one of the things I do is I lead tour groups. My first group next year will be to West Africa. We visit Benin, Togo, and Ghana from the 27th of January till the 10th of February, people still might want to go. I, I'll leave my information, and anybody can contact me, go to my website, et cetera. Um, but my point is, if we're going to talk about enslavement, and we must talk about it, we can talk about resistance to enslavement. And so one of the most interesting and inspiring aspects of resistance occurred in Florida. 
with the, and you may know more about this than me, what the people call Seminoles, who were Africans and Native Americans who fought a sustained war of liberation against the United States for 150 years. Some of them were never defeated in battle and ended up migrating out of Florida through Georgia, Arkansas, Texas, and ended up in Mexico where their descendants are today. So, I mean, Florida is an interesting place. It has a lot of history. And I would love to do a show where we do talk about the African history of Florida, ancient and modern. I would also like to get down there more often. I have so much to share, tens of thousands of original photographs, many of wow. which I've never shown anyone. Wow. So I have a great desire to, to teach share, and I would love to spend more time with you all talking about those kinds wow. of things. I'm honored to be on your show, and you know, oh, I hope it's just the first time uh, of many that you guys have me on. Oh, no, you're stuck with us. Oh, you're yeah, stuck with us. Gonna, yeah, you just took the words out of my mouth because that's the next thing I was going to say to um, Brother Nancy and Keston, like, we need to get Rashidi um, there in Orlando and possibly in Miami, too. And back on the air, of course. Of course, of course. The, the same history of Florida. How much more time do we have for tonight? Uh, we have about 45 more minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, what are some of the... I know let's have, let's I make it... Let's make, no, it's okay. Let's make it effective. In that 45 minutes, perhaps you could ask some specific questions, and I'll try to give more concise answers. You know, what do you want to know? What do you think the audience wants wants to know? Specifically, what do you want me to try to address from a historical or anthropological uh, perspective? You want to touch a little bit on um, ancient America? I'll show sure. Why not? Why not? For when you come on and do a, a full show, you know? All right, let me, let me talk about <clears throat> Maybe what we could do is just a few minutes to deal with each landmass. We could talk about the African presence in early Asia or Asia in general, in Europe, in the Americas, Australia, and the Pacific Islands. We've already talked a little bit about the great civilizations of Africa. We started with the Nile Valley, but of course you also have the great civilizations in ancient Ethiopia. You mentioned Zimbabwe. Uh, we could talk about Carthage in Morocco. I'm sorry, Carthage in what is now Tunisia. And most of us have heard at one time or another about Mali, Ghana, Songhai, um, the kingdom of Benin, or Edo in Nigeria. But a lot of us are not aware that you have an African imprint or impact on all the other parts of the world before, during, and after enslavement. The Americas are no exception. We know that the first people in the Americas were people of African heritage. There's no mistake about that. DNA tells us this. The evidence from the fossils tell us this. Based on the evidence that we have that is available to us, the first people of the Americas were black people, okay? And then you also have African, you have a series of migrations, and you have African people who have a fundamental impact on classical American civilization. The greatest of those civilizations is called the Olmec 
civilization. And the Olmec civilization, O-L-M-E-C, is important to us because it's the parent civilization of the Americas. It took place in what is now Mexico beginning about 4,000 years ago. And I'm not saying that the Olmec were African people, but at the very least, there was an African hierarchy. Africans were at the vanguard of Olmec civilizations. African people traveled all over the world in ancient times, but they didn't go to rob and rape and steal and pillage and take other people's things. They came and they brought gifts. They showed how to make life better and easier and more productive. And as a result of that, they were treated in large measure like royalty. And you can find it among the Olmec. You can see it among the Moors in Spain, just to use two examples. Now, the Olmec civilization, <clears throat> what stands out most about them are these massive stone heads. There are 20 of them. I've seen every one of them, photographed every one of them. And they all have the features of an African. And they are all at least three, they all are on the average 3,000 years old. And so it's clear that our history in the Americas does not start with enslavement. The problem is, with some of the things that people are saying in social media is that they are saying that we are the direct descendants of those ancient Africans. And I think that is where I begin to fundamentally disagree. African people have been the first people in every continent, but you cannot deny the horrors and the existence of the transatlantic slave trade. So history is the movements of people, and African people have been coming to the Americas for tens of thousands of years before slavery. So that's that's what I would say about the Americas. Well, aren't the Olmec from Mali? No, no, no. You don't know there are many different migrations. For example, there's a migration, um, I guess we could call it that, during the time of the Mali Empire. You have a sultan of the Mali Empire named Abubakar II, and he's the predecessor of the much more famous man called Mansa Musa. And according to tradition, Abubakar II built a fleet of ships, more than one, and sailed to the Americas more than 800 years ago. This is long after the Olmec civilization. So that's what I meant when I said you have different migrations from Africa coming to the Americas in ancient times. The Olmec, uh, the African presence among the Olmec is much earlier than that. <clears throat> so it's not necessarily, um, I don't know, I guess the best way to say it, it's not necessarily proven that the Olmec are from Mali. They're just indigenous oh, no. to the Americas. No, the Olmecs are definitely not from Mali. There's no connection. Would it be safe to say that they are from the African continent? Because, I mean, their features is just, it looks like some people I know from Benin. <laughs> no, you really, honestly, you can't even say that. What you can say is that at a certain time in the history of the Olmec civilization, 
a small group of African people appeared that sailed across the Atlantic Ocean from Africa, either by design or maybe they were just on a ship that got caught up on a current and, sit and took them across the Atlantic. And these African people were probably from the Nile Valley, from Kemet and Cush, and those were the ones who impacted Olmec civilization. The Olmec civilization, I do not believe, were black people any more than the United States is a black country, in spite of the fact that we had an African-American president and an African-American first lady and an African-American, in fact, two African-American attorney generals, um, both of Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch, who were married to black, who had black mates. Even though you had a black national security advisor, even though we have LeBron and Oprah and Beyonce, that doesn't mean the United States is a black country. It means that the United States is a country in which black people have excelled on many levels. I would say the same thing about the Olmec civilization, that perhaps the kings of the ancient Olmec world were African, but that for the most part, the Olmec civilization was a Native American civilization, whatever the Native Americans <laughs> may have looked like 4,000 years ago. That's what I would say. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, exactly, yes. All right. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not going to put up a fight? You're not going to battle? Wow, that was easy. <laughs> no, because I understand it. I, I get it. I understand it perfectly clear. Very good. You know what they say. If you teach a woman or reach a woman, you teach a nation. If you teach a man, you reach an individual. I think my brother put it earlier, put it pretty well. I love to talk about black women. Black women are so special. The black woman is truly the mother of humanity and the mother of civilization. And there are not enough words that we can express to show the admiration and love that we have for black women. I salute you. And I'm so greatly appreciative that you said that. And I Thank feel the same so way. <laughs> See? Thank you so much. That's just like, you just, my cup runneth over. My cup oh, is good. running over right now. You can keep talking. <laughs> keep talking that talk. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll have to do another program on that. We'll have to do something on black women in history or the role of the African woman, you know, over the centuries. Uh, one of the most interesting things, if we were going to talk, let's say, for example, about the African presence in Europe, we could talk about the black Madonnas or the black virgins. These are icons and statues of the Virgin Mary and the infant Jesus painted black. Now, why would they be painted black? Because that's, a recollection that's a reminder of the original Black Madonna, which is probably Isis and Horus, Aset and Heru. The African presence in Europe is very ancient. African people, just like America, are the first people in Europe. And, and you know, Europe is so close to um, Africa. So migrations to Africa from the beginning, and unfortunately, a lot of those early Africans 
got caught up in the ice and were transformed into something different. Because while I would say that there's only one race, and that's the human race, I don't think I'll ever be prepared to call to accept anyway. How do I put it without being... I would say <clears throat> humanity begins in Africa, but the people I consider African are black people, if that makes sense. So I think that the original African that went into Europe was transformed into something quite different, and that's who we're trying to grapple with today. But even historically, you have, before I get to the black Madonna, just for a moment, you have African people in the Roman Empire. You have uh, at least there's an African dynasty at the height of Imperial Rome. You have African popes, African gladiators, African saints, African martyrs in the Colosseum, African senators. You have one of the greatest writers in the history of Rome who is an African, a man named Terence Afar. And he is the person that said, well, there, and this sounds like something a brother would say, well, there is life, there's hope. And he's the one who said, I'm a man, and therefore nothing human is alien to me. And then you have Africans in Greek mythology. And then, of course, you have the people called the Moors. The word Moor means black. And these were black people, in this case Muslims, who went into Spain in the 8th century and took Europe out of the, quote-unquote, dark ages. And the word more literally means black. It means scorched. But you also have in Europe the black Madonnas, and these are religious icons, and they're the most venerated icons in Europe today. And they are depictions of black women with child, and they are considered to be miracle workers. And they are the superstars of what we might call the cult. How do, how do we put it? They are superstars of the cult of Mary, and these are, these black images or images of black women are particularly in the southern and eastern parts of Europe. There are more than sixty of them in France alone, and they are considered miracle workers. So black women are very important, very very special, and we have a history that's barely been told. You have a black knight at King Arthur's Round Table. You have black people historically or in, myth, in the mythology of Ireland and Scotland and Wales. You have black saints in Germany like St. Maurice. So it's really, really an amazing story. And I think that if we could reach our people with this, with this story, it would transform everything. We have to make our people interested in wanting to know who they are and what they've done. And so, therefore, I think... You know, we have to find different ways to do it. We have to be visual. We have to be creative. So, anyway, there's a little bit about the African presence in Europe and about the black Madonna in Europe. Well, what about Sertimus? Was Sertimus born in Europe or was he born in North Africa? Septimius Severus? Yes. Yeah, you mean the African? Yes, yeah, Septimius Severus is... Uh, is an African-born emperor of Rome. He's born in Libya in 146, and I think April 9th, 146, I believe, and he becomes emperor of Rome in the year 193. And he remains emperor of Rome until the year 211. 
So he is the founder of an African dynasty at the height of the Roman Empire. And as I say, you have three African popes. You have a man named St. Victor I, who's responsible for Easter being celebrated on Sunday every year. You have an African named St. Galatius, and you have an African pope named St. Miltiades. You have several African saints. You have a saint named St. Augustine. If I'm not mistaken, St. Augustine there in Florida is the first city in the modern American sphere. It was built largely by enslaved Africans, and it's named after an African saint who is the greatest saint in the history of the Catholic world. So there's so much history there. And it's not hidden. We just have to be willing to look for it. Now, if I post on Facebook, and I spend a lot of time on Facebook, I like to call myself sometimes the pharaoh of Facebook. If I post these things, people would say, <laughs> we've been lied to. They didn't tell us. This is true. But whose job is it for us to know our history? And whose job is it for us to tell our story without apologizing, without stuttering, without stammering, without feeling like I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings? And if we don't do that, whose fault is that? Our fault is our time to find out who we are and where we come from because we already know during slavery we couldn't we were being killed if we was reading and writing. They purposely yeah. took our history books from us and made us think we were nothing. So to say they didn't teach us that, you know, it's like of course they didn't. Did you expect them to? Well, apparently we do. You know, I think we've outsourced the teaching of our history, and we expect other people to to do it, to take care of it. I don't know if that's a sense of inferiority or, you know, a sign that we've been under the oppression of other people for a long time. In the early part of the program, my brother asked, why isn't Renoko Rashidi's work being financed by our community? And why doesn't he get more lectures? And why isn't he interviewed for the, the movies and what have you, because we haven't demanded that. Again, we are in an early, it's almost as though a lot of us are still asleep and we're just kind of awaking from a slumber, a slumber and we haven't quite figured it out yet. You know, people tell me I'm great all the time, all the time, but rarely does anybody say, Dr. Rashidi, what do you need? How can I help? What do you want me to do? What is my assignment? I think we're just kind of used to people spoon-feeding us, and we have to get out of that mentality. Wow, you just said a mouthful. <laughs> exactly. It, you know, it, it just, you just said a mouthful, and that is the, that is the sole truth, for real. It, it's like... They think that you don't have needs too, like you don't need help either, you know, to think that you can just always feed me and then I'm not giving back. You know, that's being selfish in a sense, but not on purpose. You know, they're subliminally being selfish. Like, oh, I can just have him feed me and feed me and I'll never say, are you hungry? You need something to drink? No, that, you know? That drives, that drives me crazy. It really, really, I tell you what, really, <laughs> it's subject to get you kicked off, off my Facebook page real quick. 
if I go somewhere and I'm I'm traveling all the time, I've been to 121 countries now in the last 20 years. That's a lot. And I'll go somewhere and I'll post on Facebook because I'll be telling most of my business on Facebook anyway. And I would say I'm going to the North Pole. I found some black people up there. I'm going to the North Pole. Let's just say I'm saying that on Facebook. Somebody will post, send us some pictures, please, or more pics, please. And then I'm furious because I want to say, Negro, have you contributed $5 for a camera or an admission fee to the museum? Exactly. Or something that's going to help with the plane fare or the bus fare or the taxi fare? But you said, more pics, please. What is, what is your contribution? What you going to do? Now, that really drives me crazy. <laughs> I must hey, you know, and that's a, that's a reply that I would love to say. Send the film in the camera, and I'll send you all the pictures you could ever want. Send exactly. The the exactly. <laughs> but they want to sit there passive yeah, black folks and say, send the picture. Or send some pictures. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the way we are. So I love black people, but black people, we, we are badly damaged people. You know, one of the worst, now here's another bad one right now. Now look, a few months ago, I took a group to Ethiopia and Kenya. And while we were, I had a nice group, about 14, 15 people to eat to Kenya, people that I've traveled with before, people that I like a lot. So anyway, we're staying in a nice hotel in Nairobi, the capital of Kenya. And there's a department store downstairs. It's like the hotel is on top of a shopping mall. So one of the sisters in my group went downstairs to one of the department stores underneath the hotel. And she's an African-American sister. And all the employees in the, in the store were black. Everybody was black. So she went in there and she said, um, you know, I would like to buy a black doll for my niece. Do you have any black dolls? And this is an African now. And the people in the store started laughing. The idea that somebody would want a black doll was like incomprehensible to them. Now, this brings me to mind one of the worst aspects of it, and you can really tell. I think we've all, we're all familiar with the black doll, white doll test. Where in 1954, the year I was born, a, a black psychologist named Kenneth Clark, a brother from Panama, administered a test, and he gave a bunch of black children, a group of black children, a choice, do you want to play with a white doll or the black doll? And as you know, most of the children went with the white doll. And when they were asked why, because it's pretty. But that was 1954. That was 64 years ago. But the same test was done. A few years ago, again, and results were even worse. Most of the children, the black children, wanted the white doll. And when asked why, because it's pretty. And the person would say, but the black doll looks like you. I know, but the white doll is pretty. Now, that's deep. This is in the United States. But I dare say, if you went to Africa or Brazil or even Jamaica, I wonder if the results wouldn't be even worse. What do you guys think? I agree 100%. Yeah, it would yep. be the same result. They want the white doll. Yep. I think the results would be worse. Well, you know what? If we were I'm to... in Africa, I've, I've been to, let me make this last little comment about that. I've been to 54 countries in Africa. 
I'm sorry, there are 54 countries in Africa. I've been to 33. And I don't know if I've ever seen a black doll in Africa. You know what else you see a lot of in the motherland? Places like Ghana, Nigeria, white Jesus everywhere, on the bus stops, on the buses, in the taxi. Mm. It's depressing. Yes. It's depressing. I went to Ghana in 2012, and that was the, that was the downside of it. I'm seeing big bulletin boards with the pastor advertising his church. He has his picture on the left, a big bulletin board where I know he spent plenty of money. Oh, big man. bulletin board. His face is on the left, and the white Jesus with blue eyes and blonde hair on the right. Mm-mm. The white Jesus? Are you kidding? Like that? Isn't Jesus? I shouldn't. I guess I'm joking. <laughs> I anyway, I just leave that alone. No, but go it's ahead. Sad, <laughs> but you could go to Jamaica, or you could go to Haiti, or you could go to Brazil, or you could go to Australia, or you could go to the Black Islands of the Pacific and see the exact same, same. thing. You know what else? You know what else you see in a lot of parts of Africa. Hmm. I don't know if I would say Ghana, but some of the French parts of Africa, the um, the weaves and the wigs. And we haven't even talked about the bleaching creams. Oh, please. They bleaching in Ghana, and they're wearing weaves in Ghana, too. They don't like Yeah, but hands. I tell you. Yeah, <laughs> but I think some parts <laughs> some parts of Africa, I think, is worse than other parts. I think the Francophone parts of Africa Nigerian. are the worst. Because the French, I think, colonized our minds even more than the British did. Now, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I don't ever recall... Anybody from Ghana or Nigeria or Jamaica saying I'm British, but I meet black folk all the time who say I'm uh-huh. French. Well, do you well, really? I met a Ghanaian sister that said that she was British. Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh oh! If you look at Jamaica, my he brother, lived in first. England for some uh, years and traveled back and forth to Ghana, you know, back and forth home. But she spent a lot of time in Britain and in London. And she just got used to that atmosphere and that environment, and she became a product of it. And she told me she was British. Well, and was okay. always, you know, was always talking about going back to London. Mm. Just got back home and already planning and talking about going back. Can anybody find something positive to say as we are winding down to the end of the show? Can we maybe concentrate on something uplifting? <laughs> I mean, it does seem negative, but it's, it's it a negative is. truth. You know, it's it true. It's not like, you know, that was my experience, me personally visiting Ghana for those seven and a half weeks that I was there in 2012. That was the downside, to see the conditioning and the brainwash. I thought we were damaged over here, but the damage is beyond damage there because at least we have ones like you, myself, Brother Lance, Brother Keston on the phone, and other ones that's listening that know how to rise up out of certain brainwashing and sleeping. They're just sleep on purpose. They want to be sleep. They'll get mad if you tell them that Jesus is not. Um, if exactly. Jesus didn't exist, he wouldn't be white. Exactly. They'll fight See, you and try to hurt you. Oh, My yeah. Here's his, around the corner. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. You heard, oh, tell me I'm wrong. I think this might have happened when I wasn't in the United States. So I want you to correct me. A couple months ago, a sister got beat up or assaulted by a Korean owner of a hair care place, if I'm not mistaken. He actually physically hit her. 
And so people in the community decided we're going to boycott this place. And the Africans were having a boycott, and the Korean business owner reduced the prices of the products by 50%, and that broke the boycott. As a matter of fact, the brother who was the head of the boycott, I think, was assaulted by one of the protesters who wanted to go in and buy the hair care products. How could they lose on that 50% discount? Did you hear that story? Yeah. No, I never heard this story. I never heard it. And I'm glad yeah. this was my first time hearing it because I might have would have tried reading it. So what was the protest about? Getting a discount? Hey, they were going to say the protest was we can't have this level of, hey, somebody assaulted a sister in our community. Sister went in the store and got in an argument about the price or something, and the guy actually hit her. And so they're saying, we're going to close this store down. We're going to close this business down. And they have people picketing the place, and the guy reduced the prices of the hair care products by 50%, and they said, later for the boycott, later for the protest, I'm going to go get some of this hair care product. That was what it was about. <laughs> the revolution. <laughs> the revolution must begin in the mind. You know, we have to define what is beautiful, and we have to define what is happiness and what is successful. Stop using words like fair skin, and stop using words like good hair. When it comes to features that are not typically African, when we say fair skin, we're usually talking about somebody with light complexion. And when we say good hair, we're typically talking about long, straight hair. And most of us are not born with that. So, I mean, these are the kinds of things that we have to work on. And it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a long time. We have to get used to that. But we can't stop. We have to keep pushing. And, you know, I guess our ancestors will judge us. I believe that at some point in time, we're all going to meet the ancestors. We're going to stand. This is my vision anyway, that we're going to stand before our ancestors. They're going to say, Renoko Rashidi, step forward. What did you do to advance the cause of your people? I hope to be able to say, to tell Chancellor Williams and Ivan Van Sertema and Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey and Harriet Tubman and Nzinga and Lumumba, I did this, I did this, I did that. And I hope they will say, come forward, my brother. So what will the ancestors say about us? And how will they judge us? And I try to use this as a guide. I try to ask myself, Will the ancestors be proud of what I'm doing? You know, will I be able to say that I made the world a better place, that I made every effort to uplift, or at least a healthy effort to uplift my community, that I sacrificed, you know, so that my ancestors, so that future generations would have a better and easier, a more productive, a more elevated life? I think these are important questions. What will your statement in life be? And how will future generations look at you? When I do presentations, as you know, I show pictures of Imhotep and African kings and queens who lived thousands of years ago. And I challenge people with the the question, what will future generations say about you? Will you be looked upon as a valued ancestor, as a person who made real contributions? Or will they say you were just another trifling Negro who took up space? I want to be able to say that I did something of great value and I made a contribution to, that advanced the cause of my people. Right. 
I want to be able to say, well, I had ones like Dr. Renoko Rashidi come on the radio, and he tried to, to wake up the sleeping giants, the ones that refused to come off zombie mode. You know, can I step up? <laughs> I don't know if I don't know what they're gonna say about that, sister. They may say we're gonna have to give that some thought. We'll we'll get back with you on that. They might so say you meant like well. Right, I hope so. Check like it will suffice my radio program. <laughs> I, I I love black people. I love black folk, and I don't apologize for that. I don't hate anybody, mm-hmm. but I love black people. Okay. In spite of all our problems, in spite of all our issues. I love my my people, and that makes a difference, too. You know, that I love what I do. It's hard work. It requires a lot of sacrifice. But I feel blessed. I feel fortunate to be a historian. I love it. We we appreciate you totally. I like loving what you do. When you love what you do. I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. No, I was just going to say we appreciate you totally because many people will enjoy the results that they won't understand the tireless effort that it takes day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in, decades, and when nobody else is around. And remember, for you said it was 40 years, 45 years. Well, most of those years. 45 years, I'm quite, years my brother. Yes, 45 years. Okay. Now, it's easy now to go on Google and pull stuff up. I remember doing uh, book reports in school. And these kids have it so easy. They can just search something and pull up information, copy and paste and turn a few words around. But when you said 45 years, what most people have to understand is that you had to get up sometimes and go to that library. This You started this at a time where there were no computers as they are now. And that took a love at that particular time. And if we're as blinded as we are now, imagine how many people did not understand what it was that you were doing when you had the vision and the wherewithal and the drive to see something that the other world, rest of the world didn't see because our culture is being hijacked now. Our history is being turned around. And like you said, it's not their responsibility to find certain things out. But now that we've been moving away from the printed word in a book and most of our younger folks and many of our older folks are depending on Google and the various search engines they don't realize that the internet is only as good as what you upload, you see? And many things are being manipulated. And we're getting away from books. We're getting away from the oral history. We're getting away from the documentation that we do for ourselves to preserve our story. So you with those pictures and all this information you have, you need to come down to Florida so we can really vibe on that on a regular basis and on the shows over the line. Because again, if it's not for the work that you, you've done, I'm quite sure a lot will be lost. Not just the research through books, but the traveling all over the world and the stories that you can share because you were there. Too many of us cut the TV on and have somebody who doesn't look like us tell a story about us that's slanted to favor him or her as the hero who rides off into the sunset. So that's why it's important that we support individuals like yourself because you're driven by love. I noticed you said that several times during this program, and that says a lot about you. It's not a profit thing like 
some other explorer or historian may go and get funded by a university to go and do certain things while they're in a five-star hotel. You're doing this out of love. Sometimes I'm quite sure there was a hunger in your belly. Sometimes I'm quite sure there might have been a bill that you didn't know how you were going to pay, but you still did what you did and you made it this far. And for that, I say I appreciate you 100% totally. I could never thank you enough. Well, I thank you for that, although I must confess, I love five-star five hotels, man. <laughs> I love, oh, oh, whenever, oh I, I, I'm not possible. knocking you. I'm, I'm not knocking you. No, you're <laughs> supposed to be in a five-star hotel. My thing is, no, while, in, what a, saying, man. while in that five-star hotel, I know you were up at night researching something, so you still had to drive no matter where you are. Oh, yeah. I love what I do. So anyway, I appreciate you all. Let me give my contact information for anybody who might want it and be listening. You can always go to my website, mm -hmm. which is drrenoko.com, D-R-R-U-N-O-K-O.com, drrenoko.com. Or you can call me if you like after the show. My phone number is area code 323-803. 8663. That's 323-803-8663. And the easiest thing, you can always email me at renoco at hotmail.com. And again, my name is spelled R-U-N-O-K-O at hotmail.com. I give group tours to Africa and other parts of the world. I have a series of books and DVDs for sale. If you want to make a contribution to the website, if you want to go to the website and see my bio, perhaps consider inviting me to where you are to show some of these pictures and to tell our story. Again, you can get all that information on my website, which is Dr. Renoco, one word, Dr. Renoco, D-R-R-U-N-O-K-O.com. Yes, I'm on your website right now. Probably need to have another off the air conversation on having you come to Miami or Orlando. Yes. Yeah, I'm always game for that. You know, I, I, I love to share. Um, I think what a lot of people are not able to appreciate just listening to the show is that I really try to do very visual presentations. I have a lot of original photographs. We haven't talked about, for example, black people black people in places like ancient China, Japan, Southeast Asia, the Arabian Peninsula, Iraq, Iran. We haven't talked about the black presence in the islands of the South Pacific, sisters and brothers from places like Fiji who probably say they're African or they come from Africa. And then there are these fascinating sisters and brothers in Australia who left Africa perhaps 100,000 years ago. So we have a vast story, a story that's, that's barely been told. And I appreciate you all giving me an opportunity to share a little bit of that story with you. And I definitely appreciate you taking out your time and your energy to be on the program and also willing to come back again. That is just, you know, my cup running over all over again. I put another cup out and you got that overflowing. So, you know, right. always... Always a grand, you know, appreciation to have 
ones like your spirit on the airwaves to, you know, dialogue with and, and learn from, because I'm always ever learning. I'm always open to ask questions and, you know, just always on a learning learning train. You never stop learning. As long as you, you're living and you're growing, you're always going to be learning. Well, I think when you stop... When you stop learning is when you start to die, and that means that I'm gonna live. I'm gonna live forever, because um, that's right. You know, it's one thing not to know, but it's another thing not to care. And I definitely care, and I I love our people. So again, I want to thank you all for having me. I know we're about out of time. Uh, if you are into the holidays, whatever holidays they may be, enjoy, enjoy this special time of the year, the end of the year, and you know, um, all the best. As they used to say in, in, in Kemet, may you fly on the wings of Ma'at and have blessings without number. So you all stay strong, and I look Thank forward you. to the next time. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll be reaching out to you. Definitely. I look forward to it. Be strong. Bye-bye. That was wonderful. Yes, that was beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, we were talking like, you know, uh, we know each other already. You know, we, we started getting comfortable with each other, which is right. good, you know. Well, it's a common spirit. And, you know, he didn't detect any any negativity because he wouldn't because we're of the same, we're of the same spirit and same bloodline. So... You know, it's going to be an agreeable conversation. It's not going to be anything or any 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 challenges or any arguing, because I'm quite sure. And he made a mention like, "Wow, you know, nobody's debating, nobody." Because I'm quite sure he has had to deal with that from that type of mindset of of individuals who don't want to accept what he has to say. <laughs> say it again, sister. No, I was saying um. There was nothing really to debate because everything he was saying was common sense. You know, when you turn on your common sense, you can relate to him. Exactly. Exactly. I remember, and I, I wanted to add in, um, Brother Keston and I were at a, at a uh, I don't want to say the name because of the story I'm telling, but we were at a gathering and people were expressing their opinions and there was a gentleman from Africa who didn't like what brother Keston was saying about, you know, colonization and, and the European takeover and the many aspects of our life, especially with religion. And he got so upset to see this wow. man. He, he was, he was piping hot. He didn't even know how to handle, I know he was. But, but the reaction to me, let me know that he knew that what Brother Keston was saying is the truth. And he made an attempt to uh, 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 salvage what little uh, darkness that he had in his mind by getting up in the front and he grabbed the Bible and he said, you know, Brother Keston made his point and he had moved on. And this guy is just quoting out scriptures and trying to piece together some type of counterattack, but he couldn't. And he was looking around. Nobody was really paying no mind because it was evident you know, that his mind was taken over wow. by something that wasn't in favor of him because of the way he looked. 
And it's true. There are many people from the continent of Africa, brothers and sisters, that are lost. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's crazy how like they try to cry. emulate. Yeah, they try to emulate the, the British and the American way, uh, Caucasian way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Like I said, a lot of websites that I travel to to go and look at stuff, I don't stay on too long because like this is the same rehashed mentality. How about the girl? Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if she's a celebrity or an entertainer named Denisha. And she has this um, bleaching cream that's very popular. She went from extremely, extremely mm-hmm. melanated skin to, 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 I mean, extreme. Uh, uh, There's no way. No, it's it's go- definitely going to make us sick. Definitely going to make us sick. It, it's the most most mm-hmm. extreme transition that it, it I've will. seen. And I mean, yeah, of course. The, you know, I know a person who is in you know funeral home mortician, and and they told me that you know when when certain bodies, certain up under the scalp, up under the skin and the scalp, green and rotten from the relaxing cream that's used over the years. And I've also read how, you know, you understand that oh, everything, yeah. that you, everything that you eat and consume, your kidneys have to deal with it if it's something beyond the scope of what's natural. It's natural. It's not a problem. But if, if, but if it's not natural and see also it's topical, it's not just what you eat, it's what you put into your skin. The skin is the largest organ on the human body. And you absorb things. So you're putting this stuff in your scalp. You're putting these things on your skin. And your, your, your internal mm-hmm. organs have to deal with it. You see? So mm-hmm. many of us don't realize that. And we, we're going for this quest of, in the quest of, oh, we got to be beautiful. Who says that's beautiful? That's frightening to me. In all honesty. It's frightening. Right. You know, right. I turn the corner late at night and see a ghoul face looking at me. You know what I mean? I say, oh my God. Right. <laughs> that was, so. I was doing some research on the skin bleaching, and from my research, it says out of the whole world, Nigeria is the number one country yeah. for skin bleaching. Surprising, and huh? When you're dealing with the Western Hemisphere, Jamaica was number one. Yeah, they, they so have Nigeria it, you know. and Jamaica. They, they're top rated with skin bleaching. And then it went into, then I went deeper into the research where um, the Ministry of Health had to had to come in in Nigeria and into Jamaica because the skin bleaching was getting so out of hand that, you know, it was, they, they was trying to make people understand that there's health issues behind that. You can get cancer of the liver, cancer yeah. of the skin, you know, just over time, you're going to be regretting that you ever did this because you're going to start getting sicknesses that you, you, you're not going to think that it's the skin bleaching, but it, it, it is. And they had like a list of different things that skin bleaching can do to your body and cause certain type of diseases, like mm-hmm. cancer of the liver. You know, right. and you were just saying how these bleaching agents and these perm agents, they put a lot of pressure on the internal organs because the internal organs can't release the toxins. It just stays there and builds up and builds up. And the more you do it, the more it builds up. And you know, it was so bad that the Ministry of Health had to kick in, and they actually was doing, you know, documentaries on it to try and convince these people to stop bleaching. But they just don't get it. They want to be. They don't want to be black. But you know, but it was right on down to the babies. One of the, the doctors was saying mm-hmm. that the the woman brought her baby in for a checkup there in Jamaica, and the baby was white. Baby was only like six months old, and the baby was white. She was bleaching the baby. Oh man! 
Oh man, that's this. this is crazy. It's on YouTube. I'm gonna find it. I gotta like check that. Like people have actually, you know, went interviewed the bleachers, did one-on-one interviews, and talked to them. And, and one of them, she invited them in her house and showed them how she mixed up her um her chemicals to make you a certain complexion and make you high 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 yellow or medium yellow and. And the way she's mixing up these chemicals, on the, on the flip side of it, I'm seeing a chemist. I'm like, she could be a chemist if she just took her knowledge in a positive direction. She could be in the laboratory, you know what I'm saying, making medicine to heal and, and to cure people. Because oh, no, she knew how to mix those products up. So I'm seeing a chemist, but a mm-hmm. mad chemist because she's killing herself. You know what I mean? But in her mind, she's going to try to cure people of blackness and, and rid the blackness away. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, really, yeah. when, when you really look at how we go from, of course, there's a, there, our history didn't begin in slavery. Okay, we know that. And it's not pushed enough in this part of the world right. and all over the world. The more I realize that is the more I realize how bad we've been done and how, how messed up we've been done. And there are people here on this planet who want to minimize what we've been through. Now, I don't have the victim mentality because I'd mm-hmm. like to believe that I'm a proactive person who goes after what it is that I want, and I'm very aggressive in making something happen every day, you know, positive for the struggle, um, online and offline. But it 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 really explains yeah. how we are messed up, how all of this information is out there, but we still stay in that same place. And this goes to confirm what I feel that everybody's not going to make it. We can't miss the bus because there are people who don't want to come to the bus stop. We we, we just can't. Exactly. They want to stay sleeping. We have to respect that and make them stay asleep. So yeah, yeah, but I can't waste any time. I can't waste any time. Mentally worrying about them. Mm-hmm. 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 Because no matter how much the Department of um, the Ministry of Health came in, and the, it was another one too, um, WOH, the World Organization of Health, something like that, no matter how much they came in and try to convince the people that this is going to give you long-term cancer to the liver or to the kidneys or skin cancer and all leukemia. And, and if you stay in the sun too long at a certain time of the day, because some certain time of the day they can't go outside unless they have on a whole lot of clothes or wearing an umbrella, their mm-hmm. skin could bust open. And then the skin won't heal back properly. Now they're walking around with keloid skin. This is a sickness. And the, and the woman who did the report, she's, um, was doing her doctorate with A&E University of Texas. Right. And her report, she did like a 300-page report. You know, I didn't read the whole total 300, but I read the chapter on specific chapters that she was speaking on, like what, where it stemmed from. And she was saying it because Jamaica is predominantly African descent, it mm-hmm. comes from the transatlantic slave trade syndrome because they were told they were ugly. Being black is ugly. So now when you see someone has light skin and she's getting a job and you're not, you're going to bleach your skin because you want to get that job or you want to look pretty because you think being black is ugly. And it's the same thing going on in Nigeria. You know, one of the Nigerian um, musicians was saying that they bleaching because that's, you know, they call it Ujiji. If you bleach, that means Ujiji. That means you're cool. That means you, you know, you're fitting in with the normal with normal people. Or if you change your name to a European name, then that means you Gigi. If you have a, a tribal name, they say, oh, why you have that old tribal name? Why you have that type of name? They prefer you to, 
to look English, speak English, have English names and stuff, you know. And he just, you know, went in on his opinion and his outlook on why they bleach. And it all came back to they don't like being black. So, you know, this is British running Nigeria, British running Jamaica. This is definitely a transatlantic slave trade trauma. And don't think that they're not doing it in New York. You got sisters in New York that do it, but it's just well, know. certain areas that this sister did her research on, and she and she found that Nigeria, out of the whole world, out of all the other countries in the world, that bleach is the number one. And dealing with the Western Hemisphere, Jamaica is number one. You know, and that's not wow. just Jamaica or just Nigeria. This is it is what this, it is. Um, you know, statistics. This is from research, you know what I'm saying, like exactly. Dr. Renopo was saying research, facts and figures proved it, and the number of bleaching products that's being shipped into Jamaica is one way that they're able to get that percentage, because they're coming in barrels, shiploads, on a monthly basis. But isn't that something you know that... what I'm saying? And they're coming from European countries in barrels, okay? They're shipping them from European countries in barrels, into Jamaica, into Nigeria, and other parts of Africa as well. But we're just going to talk on Nigeria and Jamaica because them being the highest. So they're spending barrels at a time working that agenda to make them want, don't like to be dark-skinned. Some of them women, one of them, before she bleached, they interviewed her. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness, I don't even know what was her problem. Why did you, why she, then when she started bleaching, now she got on all the clothes. She has the umbrella. You can see her not looking beautiful anymore. And the lady even said, but you're beautiful the way you are. Why do you want to please? I can't get a job. And da 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 Just the petty excuses. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Of why they're doing it. Amazing. So, you know, it, it's just... It's, but isn't it... They're isn't sending it's... that stuff into, the, into Jamaica and Nigeria like they're sending... Bottles of water. Like you can go to BJ's and buy cases right. of water. That's how you can go and buy leaching products. But see, but see, look at it this way. Um, isn't it something how they focus on places that one would look to to find a revolutionary, to find uh, uh, uh. see, they're not hitting certain places like that because they haven't defeated already. Jamaica. It's like Nigeria, Jamaica, they're making a mockery. They're making a mockery of Marcus Garvey. They're making a mockery of Bob Marley. They're making a mockery. Let's just talk about Jamaica. Such a small island when you compare it to other countries. But so many great people, revolutionary people, have come up from Jamaica. The the oppressor can't figure it out. They're they're wonderful revolutionaries Mm -hmm. that come from other places. I'm not knocking them, but I'm just talking about Jamaica. But for them to get away with shipping right, all these since we're on the bleaching topic. Yeah, but 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 mm-hmm, to break they're them getting, down. They're, they're getting away with this because something had to happen before. Because you can put all the bleaching cream in front of me, no matter what my complexion. I'm not touching it. Just the same way you can put all the cocaine in front of me. And I've had the experience of having lots of cocaine in front of me. I never did drugs ever, but it meant nothing to me. I looked at it and say, man, this is a really fine powder. I didn't touch it, nothing. I'm just saying that they've created a void and they've created a lack and they've created an actual pseudo false need in these people by brainwashing them to think that they're less 
if they're darker, no matter. I've seen very light complected black women with bleaching cream, and yeah, what they, they did, get white. what, what the they whole did thing before, is to be white. right? But what they did before to us in our minds came before the need for the bleaching cream. So we got to go back even more. So it shows that this mental indoctrination is very effective. And, and this is the results. And this is what I tell mm-hmm. people now about mm-hmm. this LGBT thing and this not wanting to be who you are and being confused thing. You ain't seen nothing yet because what you see now were the seeds that were planted 10, 15, 20 years ago. Wait till 5, 10, 20 years from now come and look at our trajectory on mass. We have stronger revolutionaries coming up now, but they're further and few between, even though we know it's much more than what their documented press will say, but there's also a fight on the other side to just water us down. And like I said many times before, if this system or if this world is around as we know it, and you got a movie about Muhammad Ali, he's going to be blonde-haired and blue-eyed. If they it, Trust me, they're trying to erase blackness, but the thing is, the bottom line is, now if you look at the natural order, they can't do it. It's their desire to have it that way, but you can't whip nature. You can't whip the universe. You can't whip the system. You can't whip it. So this white man that works so hard That's right. to get rid of us, it's a balance. And just like this, you have a system that's sick. Say, for example, you 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 mm-hmm. just eat junk food and bad food that's poisoning your system, and it comes out of your skin. It comes out in your breath. It comes out in poor health. But say, for example, you eat that sugary donut in a bad system, and you wake up the next morning, and you got a pimple on your face. You can bust a pimple all you want, but it's not stopping what's going on on the inside. So you might stop that pimple, but tomorrow, here comes another one. What I mean to say is that Every time we have an oppressed people or a people that's done wrong wrong on mass, the universe, the creator balances everything out and he will bring forth people who, who will make that revolution happen to balance it back out. You see what I mean? Especially for a kind, loving, giving people, like the great doctor said, who went all over the world to show people how to live better. And look at this. We can get shot up in churches and and killed. And we're the first ones, oh, we need to forgive. That's not proper. But that's that thing manipulated in us and encouraged in us through the religion. So we're all screwed up. So, you know, we're just going to have to, I I hate Mm -hmm. to say it. I wish I could bring everybody aboard. I'm not saying I'm some savior because there's some people that are vibrating on higher levels than me that feed me. And I feed, I, I let it trickle down across the board, but there are some like triage that you're going to have to leave. You walk into a house, there's a man having a heart attack. You walk into that same house, there's a man whose brains are blown out in his last few moments. He, he's looking at things. There's another person who has a stake driven through their leg, a, a, a wooden. So he has to wait because he'll, he'll live. The person with the heart attack, you can save. The person who had their brains blown out, they're on their way to being dead. So we got to assess the situation and reach out to those who may be on the fence, but they're willing to talk and have that mindset that they can be saved. The ones who are on the other side of the fence, who are completely gone, sold out, giving you the middle finger, telling you, I ain't never doing this. Go ahead. 
and the one who can wait that's there to pull the stake out the leg, we know you're okay. We'll come to you last because you got to understand that that man having a heart attack, what we do to him right now makes the difference of him living and dying. So what, being seekers or fisher, fishers of, of men, not just men, but women, individuals, our brothers and our sisters, we have to assess how we're going to invest our time with them. You get a used car. Just because the person selling the car is a nice person doesn't mean you're going to take a bad deal. You still have to assess, is this salvageable? Uh, uh, is this worth it with what I'm going to pay for it? Is this a good deal for me? So we have to uh, uh, divvy out our energies and budget our energies in a certain way when we have these different energies and people come around us. There's some people I walk away from That's right. in public. I can't, they come at me on my job. I got to deal with them, but they want to start conversations. I get rude and cut them off. I can't do it because I feel myself losing something that I can give to somebody who needs it, what little I may know, or bring them back. The other day, I, there's a young man who's always on my bus, and he's a bright young man. He's a he's a brilliant young man, but he's he came up in the system. He's gotten locked up a couple times for, for petty stuff, but he's very intelligent. And I see a future warrior, and he gravitates toward me, and we have some very deep conversations, and he was a little discouraged. And I said, here, brother, take my phone out my pocket because I can't drive and hold on to my phone. I'll get in trouble on the plantation and they'll hit me with some some whips, right? So I gave him the passcode. I said, here, hit this code in. He's looking at me like, man, this man trusts me, but he ain't going to get my phone or nobody does. But I said, listen, look down the recent calls and look for a name, Keston. That's my brother-in-law. Hit that number now. And Keston picked up and the conversation flowed. No questions asked because I'm out there and Keston understood. And so after the, the conversation was over, which was basically brief, he said, man, he said, that blew my mind that you just called unscripted. He didn't say unscripted, but just called out of nowhere. And what he told right. me made me feel so much better. He said, man, I got to get with you, even if it's just to come around to the events or hold a camera or just sit there. Because what you're sharing with me is so much better than the atmosphere in the environment that I'm in. And yes, I saw him later on that night. And he told me, you know, he hit a little something and smoked a little something and feeling mellow. But that's my brother. And if we don't show right. that kind of interest, you know, <laughs> if, if we don't show the you kind of joint. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> like saying he's wrong in doing that. Just be careful where you get your stuff from, brother. We want to keep your mind intact. We have a lot of evil people That's out right. here. You know what I mean? Go down to the motherland of Jamaica and get the real thing. Stuff. You know, but what I'm saying is that we affect people more than we know. Even on a faceless level, the dignified way that you carry yourself, there might be a little girl who you don't even notice who's looking out the window and sees you carry yourself in a dignified manner. And it, and it, it, It'll plant a seed inside of her. Maybe her own mother doesn't, doesn't carry herself that way. Maybe her own mother has 10 or 15 different uncles that come by at 2 o'clock in the morning and leave before the sun goes comes up. You understand what I'm saying? So she'll see you and understand and see the contrast. So we're all on the play, on the stage of life. Big and small, we leave impressions. 
I'm going to tell you one more story, and I'm going to let you say something because I don't want to dominate. But many years ago, I was into <laughs> bodybuilding because I'll do that. I'll talk until the sun comes up. Trust me. I was, I, I've was. i been doing this for a long time. I was into bodybuilding, and when I was coming down from New York on my last flight after I sold my home up there because I was back and forth with the moving truck, and, and, and after I sold the home and the closing was gone, this was April 5th, 2001. And so I went to the airport and a friend of mine dropped me off there. And I was walking over into the area where I was gonna check in the bags and um, the last few things I had to bring down. And a police officer blew the whistle. He pointed at me and he was running, but he had a big smile on his face, big chubby white man. So I said, wait a second, I don't trust cops coming at me, but it doesn't look like he's looking at me evil, right? So he came over, he said, Lance, Lance Skirvin. I'm looking at him like, I don't know this guy. He says, you don't remember me, but back in 19, and this was 2001. He said, back in 1982, in July of 1982, in Plainview, Long Island, you were in a bodybuilding competition and I was a couple years younger than you, but you inspired me, man. You really inspired, you were my hero. You didn't even know it. Like what? And he remembered like that? See how you can affect people? But I joked with him and hit him on the stomach. I said, well, my inspiration yeah. didn't go too far now, did it? So so, <laughs> so we talked for a while, and, and right. that, that made me know that we have an energy that can affect other people. So be careful how you put your energy out there. That's true. And, you know, that's why I'm very selective of who I bring in my circle or who I just deal with on a regular basis or off and on basis because sometimes people are energy vampires or you think yes. they mean you good because you mean them good, but they really don't mean you good, you know? And, you know, I've had those experiences through the 44 years that I've been on this planet. You know, right. I've experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you said 44 you know, years. Energy don't lie. You said 44 years? Yes, that's how old I, I am. I saw the picture of you. How, yes. Wait, 44 years? Old? You? And I have two granddaughters, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. But this is impossible. Both of my children are grown. Wait, this is impossible. You just got out of high school no, four years ago. No, my daughter's 22 and my son. You just got out of high school four years ago. My daughter's 22 and my son turned 20. <laughs> no, my son just turned 27 today. Is his what? Birthday. 27, my oldest. 22, my youngest. My youngest grandbaby is three. And the oldest grandbaby turned five on so wait a December fourteen. You got a 27-year-old son. Turn 27 today. But how you have a, a baby negative five years old? And I'm just playing with you. What I'm you just say? playing with you. I said, how'd you have a baby at negative five years no, I old? Didn't, I didn't. <laughs> the grandbaby is five years old. No, no, I was playing with you. No, I said, His how daughter, did you? My son's daughter. No, what I was saying is that how did you have a son at negative five years old? That was a joke to say that, you know, you're so much younger than your son <laughs> because of the way you look. Because I saw the pictures next to my wife that were taken and I, and I, you, you have the glow. You don't one. think that I'm, I'm 44. Yeah. Right. That's what I was joking with you for. <laughs> it kind of went over your head, but yeah. Right. Okay. I got you. I got it now. <laughs> I'm not that slow. I, I got it. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. You know, I get, fast. But, um, I get that sometimes people don't believe that I have grandchildren, but I do. Wow. Black don't crack. 
That's amazing. That's right. You and it also helps when you try to, you got to live good too, you know? Well, you, and also live think good. good and, yeah, yeah. You have and, to keep yourself right. in that space, you know? And when you feel yourself mm-hmm. going down. Yeah, that could drain you. Yeah, you got to pull away and, and, and you know, I'm not going to say lick your wounds, but you have to pull away and heal oh, yeah. yourself. I mean, nature's the greatest teacher. Oh, yeah. You oh, see yeah. animals that get sick, they, you don't mm-hmm. see them. They, they go up in the mountains, they go up in the cave or somewhere, and they rest themselves and they bring themselves back. Because how could you be good for anybody if you're drained? Well. Right. And this thing called neutrality, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist to me as far as the energy is concerned. When they say positive, negative, and neutral, as far as this energy that we humans have, the real humans, there's no neutral. It's positive or negative because neutrality, neutrality neutrality is neutrality in disguise. Because if you're not about something, if you're not, you don't have a driving force about you towards something. And that's the dead giveaway. These people out here who are not driving Mm -hmm. towards something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the wrong thing. I'd rather take up a person who has to drive to do the wrong thing because they're in a reduced state than a person who's like, I don't know. I I, I don't have a clue because you can redirect that drive. Oh, he says he does. And and when he get around certain people, he's doing something else, you know? Well, that's the neutral person. I don't care who you put around me. I'm going to do what I got to do. Oh, I'm about this. I'm about that. Show me. Mm -hmm. Show me. Because tell I'm me, telling she, you, the the book club, yes, yes, the book read the not it's like a I wouldn't call it a book club, but um, the study group yesterday. Even when I mentioned it, even when I said, you know, we need to be like Black Wall Street, not just the one in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They have one in Virginia. They have one in North Carolina. You know. We do a lot of talking, but I haven't heard us yet say, hey, let's put our money together and let's do it. You know, and they did it in times where you know the KKK was, was evident. You know, you know, that the oppressor was evident. You know what I'm saying? But we're not talking about that. It's good to have the study groups and to read Chancellor Williams, but when we get up from this table, it's just the same thing. Everybody goes home. We all say the same thing. We all agree on the same thing but we're not pulling our money together and we're not building any black Wall Streets. We're not unifying like the ancestors did. You know, we're really not doing the thing. We're just not. And it gets depressing. You know, after a while, it gets depressing. Years after years having this study group, and there's really, in my opinion, I don't really see anything progressive coming out of it other than just a study group, in my opinion. No, you know, it, it should have been taken off. It could be in a, it, it could be in a, on a whole other level by now. Out of all the years they've been doing it, they should be on a whole other level by now. Like even having their own building, where you don't have to meet at the library and ask them to use their room. You know, so when I say those things, nobody says anything. Yeah, right. That's why sometimes you when have I to walk alone. That, it's like all eyes was on me, and nobody said anything. Nobody said. You know, you write or anything, it was just like a dead stare. And that's how I know that, you know, it'll just be the same way next week and the week after next, you know. And that's why I kind of separate myself from certain people, places, and things because I know the talkers from the doers, you know. 
Right, right. I know the talk is from the do it, and we're doing a lot of talking. We're just not doing. <laughs> that has like, got to be like the most depressing thing. Said, you know, they're telling him to send pictures. They're telling Renoco to send pictures, right, Lance? But right, they're not right. saying, by the way, um, can I pay Tal you $30? Because I know it's going to cost you some money for them films. But but that should be automatic. You know it shouldn't I mean? be where you gotta ask you gotta ask to give and you watch what the man is doing as far as his work is concerned. This, this, right, this, exactly. Exactly. Check your PayPal. I'm sending you some money so you can get me some pictures. And you know, you don't even know what kind of re- relationship that could build between you and him or where that could take you. You might he no, may but, offer you a well, next free trip on his next on his next journey just by that little right. bit that you're doing. It's the so moral thing. One that's full fed. Look, last yeah, night mm-hmm. last night I was up, my phone popped off. It was about maybe four in the morning, three in the morning, or whatever. And it was someone who You was up that late? Yeah, because you, you text me at like six thirty in the morning. I'm like, well, Dad, you on vampire mode. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, my mind you jumps. You on vampire mode right now. No, you know what I'm happened? I'm just getting up. You talking about going back to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I had already went to bed at that point. But what happened is that I was rendering um, the conversation between Brother Keston and Brother Malik that they had earlier. And it was like a two and a half or two hours and 39 minutes. And it was a huge video file. So that takes a little longer the to process. Uh, well, yeah, well, we, I mean, he, he he's from Chicago, but he's he's African. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, the conversation was wonderful, but it was a long, huge file. So if it's a five-minute file, it, it, it gets done quick. If it's two hours and 39 minutes, you put it on, and I call it cooking it up, <laughs> and I go to bed. And if I get up to run to the restroom, I'll peak. It may say 79%, 29%, you know, 54%. And it was already at 98%. I was like, I can't go to bed. I got to I gotta stay up and wait. So it was only like about four minutes that it took. took. And then I, after that, uploaded it to YouTube, Put the necessary tags, titles, words, and the dates, different things, hit publish, and went to bed. So it can go up on its own. So it was then that I uh, answered the call to nature and came in to peek on it, and I, I sent you the message. So I'll do that. You know, I'll partially wake up. I've been doing this for a long time, so I know automatically, you know, without waking up all the way, I might wake up 15%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Half asleep doing stuff online. And go back to oh, okay, I get rolling. you. It's, it's like a process. I'm 15% charged. Right, right. So I did it. I went to bed, and I think it took another hour or so to get up and everything. But, yeah, that's one of the things I have to work on, you know, um, getting in the bed and everything. And and, and I'm better at it. But I, I just got up, and, I, you know, a Brother Malik had stayed over, and, you know, he was asking me directions out of here when, when he left. So I was up, and I still had a few things to do. Um but like I was saying, you just have to be very careful and guard your energy. We guard our pocketbook, our checkbook. We do our budgets and stuff, but we have to budget our energy. And I try that when I leave out, out of the home, right. that, I, that I leave out at 100%. Like my cell phone, I try to keep it when I leave at 100%. I don't leave out with 13% because it's going to conk out after a while. So you got to understand that some people right. will drain you down and take away 3% here, 5% there, 10% there. So many people go home with no charge at all and they have no energy for themselves. So my game is to be on the defensive while I'm offensively minded in the outside world and come home with as much of a charge that I left with. So if I can come home with 96 percent 
on my cell phone symbolically? Why can't I come home the same way by buffering, you know, myself from, from the general public? Because I deal with people coming out of the street all day while driving, you know, all of that. I've talked about that before. So I'm going to make sure to keep my mind focused and keep myself spiritually aware as to what energies are around me so I can protect myself at all times, like they say in the box of matches, right? So many of us don't do that. We go in on uh, the physical appearance. Oh, they're smiling. The people coming at me smiling oftentimes are people who cuss me out on the bus. You see what I mean? They come like a Trojan horse. So I've got to assess what my spirit tells me. That means I've got to be on. That means wow. I keep a peaceful, quiet home base. You understand? And ju just stay steady. I can't be caught up in the world like that. It, it would be a disaster. You know how many fights I see? How many people on the bus cussing out their loved ones or you know, the physical fights or just the results of living a bad life. And over the years, watching people uh, uh, just go down into something that the creator didn't mean for them to be. I've seen lots of gorgeous women fall down into nothing, into drugs, and they were living clean and not in nothing. I've seen a lot of guys I know that were, were going and to school and living now, clean. Right? Yeah, and they're out there doing all kinds of things. And it's like, whoa, that, that actually... I'm not saying their downfall inspires me because I don't want, to, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But what inspires me is to say, hey, this thing is real. That could be me. Let me keep my eye on the ball. Like Brother Keston says, I got to keep my eye on the ball day in and day out, especially the age that I am. I'm well over 50. You know, I'm five years over 50, going to be 56 soon. So, you know, I don't play Russian roulette, but I look at it that way. Like, yeah, I'll be 56 in April. Yeah. So I got to maintain the energy. April 8th. 5.34 in the morning. That's my sister's birthday. Oh, really? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my older sister's birthday. April 8th. So, so she's talkative too, like me. And my granddaughter is April 12th. Does she run her mouth like me? Does she talk a lot? The three-year-old. Oh, man. See, well, that, that's actually, an April I, thing. No, she doesn't. Uh, let me tell you the funnies. Well, maybe because, you know, yeah. Let me tell you the funnies. On my job, I'm known as the quiet guy. I don't say much. Oh, that's the quiet guy. Oh, man, I found you online. You, you really talk a lot. I tell him, I say, listen, when you're fueling up the car to go cross country, you don't see the wheels spinning, do you? The wheels don't turn. The wheels don't turn until it's time to take the trip. So I got to gather up information and meditate and be quiet. You don't hear nothing, nothing, no craziness going on behind me. It's quiet home. I love it. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm a quiet kind of guy. Wasn't always that way, you know. <laughs> you couldn't. There was no, a time, I'm sure you wasn't. Not coming out of New York City. <laughs> man, there was a time I tell you, I'll never leave New York. There's a time I'd, I'd always be, I was oh, like I itching. I couldn't stay home. I couldn't stay home. There were times I'd go to work, come out of work, stay up all night, go somewhere and go right on to work with a change of clothes. So trust me, the environment. Yeah, I used you know. to love New York like that too. Especially going to my cousin's place in the Bronx because that's <laughs> one of my favorite boroughs. Right, right. So, 
Bun Hill Road, Webster Avenue, Grand Concourse, Co-op City, Bronxwood, Soundview, Story Avenue, Cross Bronx Expressway, White White Plains Road. That's right. You name it, I've been there. I probably slept on half of them streets anyway. Not the streets, but inside somewhere. I won't I, I won't mar your broadcast yeah. by uh <laughs> but I'm just saying I, I have friends all over, but I mean a lot of them are not here with us right now, or maybe they, they live different life lives or whatever. And and like I said, but you name the borough, you name the place, I got a story for you. Trust me, I got a story for you. So I ripped and ran and, yeah, my and cousin observed used to a lot. From where? My cousin used to live in the Parchester apartment right across what? from the White Stone Bridge. Okay, okay. Remember the White Stone Bridge? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the funny place there, let me give you a little trivia. You probably already know. What was the hotel at the base of the White Stone Bridge? Well, I don't even remember. Okay, go go play. Sh- go go play. <laughs> go play Shelly Thunder. Remember? Sometimes my mind forget. Cool, forget. Cool, forget. Cool. Remember that song? Oh, that might be. Oh yeah, Shelly yeah, Thunder. Yeah, that used yeah, to be yeah. my jam. We used to talk yeah. about the I remember. Okay, okay, okay. Go back. Go 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 Maybe back. Go back and play it. If you know the words and you know the answer, the hotel, you know, uh, uh, over Whitestone Bridge at the hotel named Capri. In the parking lot, guess what, Missy? It was a Capri Hotel at the other side of the Bronx. Okay. Side. Right, right. Yeah. But that's in the words that she said it so quick. I used to drive at that. Look at that. You know, I used to love that song because of that. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, you know, you know, I, I'm a country boy now. I, I don't need that. I'm a straight country boy in this place right. called Orlando. I was saying this is now. Right. Mm-hmm. I can hang with the best of them, but that's not my, you know. Give me the mountains, give me the country all day, every Forte day. Anymore. Huh? Say it again. That's right. But it wouldn't be See, too What happens is when, when I was younger, yeah. When I was younger, my grandparents, we used to come to Florida for vacation, go to Alabama, you know. Mm-hmm. So I remember saying, when I get older, I'm going to move to Florida. I'm getting out of this cold. If I stay in this cold, I'm going to have arthritis in my 20s. <laughs> you know, it's just going to do something to my body. Black people need to be in the heat. I always yeah. reminded myself, when you get old enough, leave New York. Yeah, yeah. Just seeing the palm trees and mangoes growing on the trees, that whole, I just felt like this is where I'm supposed to be, you know? Right, right. And once I left, I ain't never looked back. Some people go back. They can't live in the South. They got to have New York. Not me. I have friends like that. They swear by it, Not and me. I can't see it. That's their choice. I can't knock them, but I can't see me it. But don't, 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 don't try to convince me I can't be in that cold back. region like that. Nah, never. Never that. Mm-mm. It's not even just the cold. I can't it, be in those cold regions anymore. But, but okay, no, it, I, it is I, I'm against me. the cold. I can't deal but, with that cold. But it's more than the cold. It's more than the cold. It's the energy. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you an observation yes. that many people don't understand. Pre nine uh, a nine one one, New York City was going in a certain direction anyway. That wasn't really a good thing. But uh, post nine one one, when I went back after nine one one, the place mm-hmm. was defeated spiritually. I mean, yeah, people that were people that were yeah. hustlers legitimately. I'm not talking about any illegal business, but hustlers who worked mm-hmm. and 
had different jobs. I know guys who don't have jobs, but they always have money because they always got things that they do. They, they, you know, they work on uh, transmissions and brakes and things on cars and, you, you know, just fixing up houses and stuff. Yeah, they have a skill. Yeah, you can do that there. But something was lost. And it wasn't just because of 911, but it helped to accelerate some of the changes, especially with gentrification going up there. And it's like something was was lost. I saw, I saw for what it was, and I was glad that I left. And it made me see mm-hmm. most places that people gravitate toward the illusion. That place is a damn illusion. But I tell you, it, I had a it wonderful is. childhood it there is. and growing up there. But the soul has been snatched. Right. It, it, the soul and right. the joy, because I had a it wonderful. Wasn't the way it is now. Yeah. No. 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 Uh. 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 No. I don't. I have no need to visit. Look, I do want to go back for certain reasons as far as the media that's there. I mean, the I visit. That I know and I'll connect with. Mm-hmm. But as far as like, oh, I'm going to go there and go to the neighborhoods. And there's nothing. Look, I know the place too well. There's nothing to go back to. It's a matter for me of saying the ultimate farewell. Probably in my plans, the next time I go will be the last time I go in my life. Unless I'm going with my wife or Brother Keston or something where I can show them around a little better than what they might know themselves off the beaten path. You know what I mean? So that's what it is. Right. Uh, and most of the people, they're just the same way I left them. Wow. Same way I left them. They don't change. I, I have they're not evolving. They're just devolving. Mm-hmm. Same corner, same this, same stupid jokes, same, same pursuits. It's like having... Mm-hmm. You, I mean, same, same Willie Lynch mindset. Right, right, right. And they have all of those opportunities there, which, you know, people could have said the same thing about me. But when I left, I discovered myself more on certain levels. And there's so much that you, if you're going to be there, you better get something to get out. You know, whatever it may be, get something to yeah. go somewhere else. But to go up there and think that this is it, and I'm around this, this, and that, it's nothing there. It's an illusion. That goes for all other places like that place. Mm-hmm. It's glossy. It's bright lights. You got celebrities walking down the street, passing you. You know, we used to go and walk around in Manhattan at night and always pass by a celebrity. Oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, look at this one. Look at that one. Countless. You go around there, you see all these different movies being shot. Different movies being shot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, you know, um, the movie sets and different things and the things to see and do, the stimulation of it all. But one good thing is I took care of myself. You know, I, I took care of my body. I took care, you know, I, I didn't get into substances or activities. And, and, and I, I've just been blessed, protected. I've been protected. You know, somehow, some way, there's a purpose in my life. And I know I've been protected. Because there's no way that I would have come through all of that, seeing all of that, and, and be preserved today. I don't take credit for that. I give credit to my parents and, and the practices that they instilled in me. You know, my only problem was a lot of girlfriends. At right. one point, but that could have took me out because I could tell you that I know about, I know several hundred people who have died from AIDS who are not gay, who are heterosexual. Yeah. Hundreds. I know several hundred people right. that, that even to this day, yeah. I may get a call from an old friend and say, remember so-and-so died 30 years ago? You know, it was because of the monster. I, them? I thought it was this or that. Hunt, not just a few, but hundreds. 
I say a good 250 to 300 people I that I personally know, not tight friends, but people in my circles growing up that I know of. Brilliant people, yeah, smart people. Uh-huh. And, and it's really a thing. So uh-huh. when you know this thing and you know you're preserved, it's like, I got to use every day of my life now that I'm awake and awakened and more conscious at this particular junction point in my life to make a difference for because oh, because really and truly when you look at the universe and time and the millions and billions of years we're really out of here in a few days you know what i mean when you look at on a on a on a mm-hmm. i mean transitioning from this level but not going forever but this is not too long of a stay on this level it, like i tell people yeah. if you, you look, have to evolve yeah if you what live you to a thousand evolve? years that's mm-hmm. nothing on this level compared to eternity. This is a pit stop. Thank you. In the race of life. Mm-hmm. Beyond this life. So do what you got to do. Get it together because true. you won't graduate. You, if you don't master this level, then you're not going to get promoted to the next level. If I don't get my wings in this level, how am I going to fly on the next level? Right? That's so, true. Yeah, yeah. That's what you got to do. It's crazy. But my dear sister, I will talk your ears off to the break of dawn, like the, D- the DJ said, to the break of dawn. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. That is so funny. Yeah, I, I, I will do it most often. Most often times when I would drive into Manhattan and, you know, go out, take some friends out in my van. It was a seven passenger Astro, a Chevy Astro van. And um, when I'm driving home, I'm talking in front of my mouth. I turn around, I see everybody's tonsils in their teeth because they fast asleep with their mouths open. You know, <laughs> I was always the last one standing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it ain't nothing new. I think I was right. made for this. So, yeah. So, but I'm gonna let you go because I gotta make a, make a couple of phone calls. There's a couple of folks got to get up tomorrow. I don't have to get up tomorrow early, but they do. So I want to call them and um, say a right. few things to them. And then we'll set up for our next shows. And I definitely like to do some things on this side of the planet and bringing people down and, you know, just just circulating all the good Yeah. Renoko, what do you want to do with Renoko? Well, yeah, we can immediately think, do like. Do you think Black History Month will be too soon? No, not, not for that. No, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's, it's never too soon or too late when you're dealing with. So we would need to get on a three way. Yeah, we gotta have yeah. a three-way conversation with him to see what his schedule for February may look like. Because I'm sure people might have him booked for things, you know, Black of History course. Month. But if we can get him on three-way sooner than later, right. he can get, you know, get a, a time in before everybody else starts. You know, right, right, exactly. So that's not a problem. And even okay. even on a show over the phone or something like that, or doing a live stream, or if it, you know, he doesn't mind showing his face and being out there. So if I can, if, I, don't, I don't know if he's on Skype, but I'm trying to get Skype connected with these programs that I have now. And if we can do that, we can we can do a three-way uh, Skype interview where we're talking. And you, you, even if you're home and I'm home and he's home, but the screen shows our faces and we get some call-ins like that, that would be very exciting. You know? Yeah. We can do it that way. Yeah, I was just, I was basically speaking on a more... Uh, in person, type of well, thing. yeah, no, I, no, that, that, but, I that ultimately, but also that. as a because he has a lot to say as a as an interim type thing where okay, he's coming down, you know, that way, and then mm-hmm. two times before we get him on a to rouse up the interest so people can hear him and they say, man, I wanna I wanna go there in person, 
you know. Right. That'll work. Exactly. They'll get familiar with his style. Right, right. So, you know, we 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 good that way. But let me make these phone calls, sister. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I work on getting this one up. And um I appreciate you too, brother man. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. All right. You have a good night. Okay, love and gratitude. Brother Keston left already, so I don't think he's on the line. I think um he already hung up. He has to get up very early, but I'll talk with him tomorrow. But you have a good night, sister, and we'll talk tomorrow. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, no problem. All right, you're welcome. Thank you for using the. Make sure to check out the boldest blog at landscurve.com and follow Scurve on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube under Lance Scurve.